And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. This edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report, we have such a fantastic show for you tonight. All three hours packed with different guests with important information. We're going to be starting off strong with Steve Quayle and Timothy Alberino to get an update on episode three of True Legends, as well as getting into some uh, other important stuff that um, I'm going to let Steve and Tim uh tell you themselves folks we broadcast each and every weeknight 7 to 10 p.m eastern time on global star radio network we are also simulcast on blog talk radio network as well as live video on youtube you can find us there by going to hagman and hagman.com that is our show website all of our show information is up there and then we have a news website that is HagmanReport.com. Check that daily for updates on the most current and important uh, breaking news on a daily basis. I'm Joe Hagman, the co-host, along with my father, Doug Hagman, who will be joining us in just a few moments. He is on a, uh, a phone meeting that should be ending any moment. And without further ado, we're going to bring in our guest tonight. We have Steve Quayle from SteveQuayle.com and Timothy Alberino. Steve, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you get this show started. Well, welcome everybody and thank you for tuning in. Uh, most of you uh, probably are aware that, and if you're not, we'll make you aware tonight that we were two weeks ago, we were in the desert southwest in the Four Corners area of, uh, oh good night, Utah, Colorado, uh, New Mexico, and Arizona, and we were down there checking out a bunch of uh, different legends and different locations that directly tie into our previous work. We're down there, by the way, working on and filming pretty much the last bit of True Legends of Series Episode 3, and we haven't titled it yet. But what's important to understand is, is that when we started with our True Legends, the very first episode, we started in Peru. And the reason we started Peru is because it was called the Naval of Creation. And what's more important today is in the last, yeah, probably uh, six months, everybody from uh, Patrick Kyrill, who's the head of the Russian Orthodox Church, the Pope, Obama, Clapper, all of the people who are pretty much Clapper's the head of, uh, what, Defense Intelligence Agency or, uh, you know, I forget which one, but anyway, they've all been down there, and they're meeting with someone and something, especially in the Beraloche region, I hope I did that right, Tim, of Argentina. Now, what most people don't understand is that that was the headquarters of the Nazis when they fled uh, Europe at the close of World War II. Now, what's critical and what's really important is we're going to share with you in True Legends of Series, especially the third episode, how everything is related and all the underground tunnels, the Shinkana, the underground tunnels in Europe, the 
records of people disappearing in the tunnels, the records of the mythological beasts in contemporary times, the interviews with different people, some in their 80s and 90s, of actually digging up the skulls. Now, we started out saying that in the Unholy Sea, all roads lead to Rome in the cover-up. But now, from Rome, all roads lead to the Antarctic. They lead to Argentina. They lead again to Peru. Obama, in the last trip of uh, his presidency, is headed to Peru. So what is the fascination with South America? Why is there so much activity involving the Antarctica, even a new 35-year treaty being proposed to keep people out of there? What if I told you that between Antarctica and Patagonia and through most of South America, the underground tunnel system is massive? And what if I told you that we're going to bring you absolute, uh, undif- uh, what would you say, undeniable proof that what we're working on, it all leads into the desert southwest. So we're, we're excited to bring you all of the incidents that we're going to be bringing you. And it was fascinating because I'll just yeah, bring this to everyone's attention. When we were down there, we had some interesting behind-the-scenes incidents. We were obviously being uh, looked at by drones. There's actually a picture on my website showing one uh, probably about five miles away with high-res cameras watching us. Obviously, we were meeting with different uh, Native American elders who are very much aware of where these stargates are and even to this day hold ceremonies to open the stargates and the entities that come through the gates give them a picture, if you will, and explain to them what's going to be happening. We also were investigating the pyramidal structures in the Valley of the Gods. And so what we're going to prove, and I believe it's going to be easy to prove, uh, we are involved in probably, in my opinion, the most powerful revelation of true history, ancient history, and how they all come together. And Tim, I'll turn it over to you right now and let you share kind of what we, uh, you know, what we are doing as far as bringing all these things together that started in Peru, and now the President of the United States is going back to Peru. Yes, um, Tim? Yes, can you hear me? Yep, we can hear you, Tim. Okay. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, gentlemen. Um, we uh, we are finally going to be featuring in, in this next episode what a lot of people have been asking us to talk about, which is Sardinia, what we uncovered in Sardinia. We made two trips to the island of Sardinia. For those of you who don't know, the island of Sardinia is located off the coast of Rome, uh, off the western coast of Rome. Uh, it's below the island of Corsica, the birthplace of Napoleon Bonaparte. So... Uh, it, it's kind of an obscure place. It's it's actually a very obscure place, the island of Sardinia. It's it's still a very poor place. It kind of reminds me of Peru in some respects, uh, certainly in the amount of megalithic rubble and megalithic constructions that can be found on the island. Um, it's a place that's been overlooked, and uh, but it's a place that we've taken a very good look at. Again, we've gone there twice. One time was a preliminary trip to kind of check things out. The second time we went with our... Uh, professional film crew and uh, we shot footage that will be featured in the next documentary film episode 3 of our True Legend series so we're really excited about not only the content that we were able to film in Sardinia but we're also very excited 
about how that content correlates with what we've already filmed in Peru and also what was featured, obviously, in our last two documentaries, Peru, Bolivia, Malta, Rome, but also how it correlates with the new subject matter that we're dealing with, uh, as Steve said, in the desert southwest, dealing with some of the Native American uh, legends and also with the Smithsonian cover-up. Tom Horn is on the ground level of Episode 2. He was featured in Episode 3. I mean, I'm sorry, he was featured in Episode 2. He's on the ground level of Episode 3. Uh, we met the Skywatch uh, TV team in the desert southwest, and uh, we have some absolutely amazing footage. I think it's our best footage yet. I think you would agree, Steve. We have some amazing footage um, out of uh, the desert southwest that we were able to film with Tom and his crew. And uh, all the pieces are coming together. And what's really exciting is, again, how the narrative continues through the very first film that where we started in, in Bolivia all the way through uh, the desert southwest and, Sar and Sardinia. The same threads that we began to unravel a couple of years ago, we're still unraveling them uh, in Episode 3, including the... Uh, the unholy sea, the cover-up of the unholy sea. We're going to, you're going to discover that um, that that narrative doesn't disappear in episode three. In fact, it is consistent. It's a constant issue that that uh, we run into everywhere we go. So, um, for those of you who have seen episode one and episode two, and and who enjoyed episode one and episode two of our documentary film series, True Legends, I think you're going to really, really like. Episode three, because we keep upping our game every time we approach a new film in terms of the quality, in terms of our equipment, in terms of the way we're presenting the content. And certainly we upped our game from episode one when we produced episode two, and we're in the same, we're, we are in the same trend for episode three. So episode three is uh, in post-production today. I mean, we, it, it didn't start today. It started a couple weeks ago, post-production, but I mean, we literally stopped working on the film to do this a radio show because we want the we want a early spring release on the film and uh, the content is so important it's so relevant to everything that's happening in the world and um again i think that uh, people are going to be very excited about uh, about what we present we have as steve mentioned in this film episode 3 the one that's under post production right now we have uh multiple Eyewitness testimonies of of individuals, elderly individuals, most of them, uh, that were personally involved in digging up the bones of giants. And some of them dug the bones of giants up uh, haphazardly. They didn't. They weren't looking for archaeological artifacts. They were digging in fields. They were plowing in fields, and they came across many, many skeletons of very large giants. Uh, we're not talking seven and a half feet tall guys. We're talking 13 feet plus in some cases. Um, and also individuals who were hired by the government of Sardinia, hired specifically to do archaeological digs to dig up the bones of giants. And, uh, and uh, you can probably already guess where those bones, where those artifacts went, directly into the hands of the Church of Rome literally into the hands of the agents, the priests, and the uh, and the Jesuits of the Church of Rome. So uh, that thread is definitely continuing into Episode 3. So we're really uh, excited about the content, and we know that 
for those of you who have not seen episode one and episode two, go see the films, either stream them or buy the DVDs, because this is a series. This is a trilogy of films. And there, it's really the, the, the content we've been dealing with in the first two episodes is crescendoing in the third episode. Kick it back to you, you guys. Well, I, it's beyond belief because, ladies and gentlemen, it's almost like not only do, does one thing lead to another, but all things lead to the common center. Now, I would like to remind everybody that the Pope, obviously, is from Argentina, and I would like to remind everybody that Patagonia literally means big feet or big foot, and I would like to remind everybody that now it seems like without a doubt Antarctica is in the news, whether it's the new 35-year-old treaty. Now, again, I want to share something. Admiral Byrd said, and this is interesting, Antarctica, he, his quote was, Antarctica is a land of everlasting mystery. It's hard for people to entertain a hollow earth. It's hard for people to entertain the idea that uh, all of the major governments of the world have been keeping something hidden. And it's really becoming, I guess, obvious that just as God has revealed the sins of America's leaders and the other leaders of the world, that we're seeing unparalleled times. And, and Tim and I operate on the, uh, I guess you'd say, the declaration from the Word of God that there's nothing that's been hidden that won't be revealed. Now, why is this critical? We will show you in episode three that it's imperative to get a grasp on who controls the technology of the world. If you go on the Alberino analysis, you can uh, basically see Tim's presentation on Sir Francis Bacon and the New Atlantis and how even then they knew of advanced technology, which they could have only gotten from the ancients. It's also imperative that you know that literally there's something and someone that the world leaders pay obeisance to that's under the ice, New Schwabenland, New Swabia. It's more important that you understand that what is, you know, let's face it, the most powerful religious and political figures in the world don't head down to Antarctica to protect penguins. And guess where John Kerry is and has been? He has been in, in, in Antarctica. So when you understand that the tunnel system, the Shinkana, that Anselm P. Rambla is on record within the, the uh, DVD, The Unholy Sea, that is a worldwide phenomenon. And somebody once said, well, where do they put all the foreign soldiers, and where do they hide all their secret stuff? And I said, if you'll notice military bases, just as when the Catholic Church conquered South America and Latin America, they would always build their cathedrals, they would build their monasteries, their churches, over the entrance to giant tunnel systems. Now, when we talk about giant tunnel systems, we're not talking about spelunker caves that you've got to crawl through on your belly in the mud. We're talking about such vast cavernous uh, areas that literally some of them are so big they can drive multiple uh, 18-wheelers abreast through. The Ural Mountains in which Yamantu, the, uh, if you will, the Russian uh, equivalent of uh, Cheyenne Mountain, is said to be so big and so large that you can fly airplanes in it. So when we're talking about the ancient civilizations, it's hard for the human mind to wrap itself around this thought. 
what you know and what you've been told is not true. And even on the front of Drudge tonight, they're talking about super soldiers. You know, Tim, when we first started talking about that, Hawk and I started talking about that years ago, people just couldn't embrace it. And when we talked about the DNA of giants, let me make it easy for people. We're talking about giants in history after the flood between 12 and 18 feet, prior to Noah's flood, in which the earth was destroyed in Jeremiah's flood, in Jeremiah chapter 4, the giants were 36 feet tall. And if you want to just get a feel for ancient, ancient history, you can go look up the uh, Sumerian table of kings. Now, what's important to understand is that Tom Horn, Tim, and I were down the desert southwest. We're writing, and I can't give you the name of the title of the book yet, but we're writing, we're co-writing a book that will be released along with the DVD in March. All I will tell you is this. Everything I've done to date isn't even as mind-blowing as what we're going to be producing. It's like the Lord himself, in his mercy, his grace, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But it's by abiding in his word. So everything we do, ladies and gentlemen, is based not only on Genesis 6, Numbers 13, 33, and 33 other interesting numbers of all of the fallen angels and their offspring, but the if you will, the ecclesiastical, the official denial of uh, the fallen angels. Now, why is this critical? Some people have a hard time embracing that a third of the angels fell and were in rebellion against God. Those angels existed on earth and built the earthly empires that we only hear of as myth and legends, whether it's Lemuria, uh, Hyperborea, Atlantis, etc. So there's a giant disconnect between the Sumerian table of kings that goes back hundreds of thousands of years and the 6,000 years of creation. It's my position and Tim's position that when we're talking about Adam and Eve being created in the image and likeness of God, that is a true biblical narrative. But what most people can't grasp is something very catastrophic and cataclysmic happened prior to the recreation of the earth in Genesis 1, 1, and 1, 2. People will fight over the word replenish. You can go to Isaiah 45 and see that God did not create the earth, you know, in chaos and void. And then you go to Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, and basically, without form and void, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. How do you reconcile that? Well, the... Uh, the antagonists of faith will say, see, the Bible uh, basically uh, disputes itself or is at war with itself, but it's not at all. They're two separate events. And this is something that's very typed in even our lives as believers. We come into the world of, of, of the saving knowledge of Jesus, usually a mess. Most people do, because the whole world lies in the evil one and in sin, and only through the power of God and our new birth through God's uh, solution, which is Jesus Christ, him crucified, raised again, and uh, filling us with the Holy Spirit, can we escape those things? And so what we've done, and, and this is, uh, I guess, the best way I can say it, we have put together and are finishing up in post-production, and by the way, if you understand how many hours that Tim and our other editors and everybody is working on, we have one guy that works almost through the night, uh, literally through the night, in another town, and... And uh, 
he's working, we're working night and day, so when the day shift takes off, the night shift takes over. And what's fascinating, and I think I use that word maybe a little bit too much, but what's uh, very, very important is that the history that you're seeing in the headlines, whether it's the Pope in Argentina, Antarctica, and, and you know, uh, the hunt for Hitler, or that you're seeing on the, I believe, what, the History Channel. Uh, Tim Kennedy is is on it, and Tim has obviously been on Alex Jones' Infowar. The the point is is that it's all going to end up in Peru. And so, Tim, do you want to comp- or, you know, comment, if you would, on Bacon and Peru, and just a little bit on the Alberino analysis, because uh, people have got to understand how important that is. If the President of the United States, who isn't a cultist, is headed to Peru, if the last report of Hitler alive are in Peru, then we've got something that is a unique anomaly in history. We have a nexus point. Will you just deal with that a little bit? Because I think yeah, it's and important and that people understand. And Steve, I just want to say this. I don't want to interrupt here. This really got my attention, folks. Please pay very close attention to what Tim Alberino has got to say about this, what Steve Quayle said about this, and what is taking place with respect to Obama. I didn't mean to jump in there, but well, yeah, I did. Thank I you. Just, you just, oh man, this is great stuff. Go ahead. Oh well, the the New Atlantis, which, which was written by Sir Francis Bacon, uh, begins. It literally begins by saying, "We sailed from the shores of Peru," and the story goes that the uh, this this uh, this crew was sailing from Peru, heading, I think, towards China. I don't remember, and they ended up getting marooned on a. Um, uh, they ended up wrecking on an island or, or, or being pushed by a storm uh, to an island called Bensalem. And, um, there's a, if you read, if you read a lot of the, uh, if you read the, the occultists or if you read the, the, the Masonic scholars such as Manly P. Hall, you'll find this, uh, you'll find that Peru comes up a lot. And for various reasons. But there's something very interesting. Uh, Steve said that, uh, uh, Peru is considered to be the navel of the world. Actually, specifically, Cusco is considered to be the navel of the world, which I find very intriguing because um, beneath the, the the fortress of Sacsayhuaman, which is definitely one of the greatest uh, megalithic structures on Earth, beneath that fortress is the hub of the Shinkana. And for those of you who don't know what the Shinkana is, it, it is the the underground, the antediluvian underground highway that connected. Um, many of the underground cities and massive chambers, I basically refer to them as the, the pre-flood dumbs, the pre-flood deep underground military bases. And uh, Cusco happens to be the hub, specifically Sacsayhuaman, the hub where a lot of these underground tunnels connect. I think, I think on a global scale, I think worldwide, um, a lot of this underground stuff converges uh, in the Andes Mountains, specifically uh, beneath Sacsayhuaman and Cusco, but also all over uh, underneath the Andes Mountains, which I find very interesting because we all know that many of the Nazis were smuggled out of, uh, of Europe by the Catholic Church through the rat lines, which were, of course, um, in many cases, actual underground tunnels, modern underground tunnels, very likely connecting to ancient underground tunnel systems. We know for a fact, uh, uh, unequivocally, that the Catholic Church knew about the ancient underground network, um, especially the Shinkana in Peru. 
and so it's it's very possible that the Nazis were also uh, in possession of that knowledge and were using some of these underground systems, but many of the Nazis ended up uh, going to uh, Argentina into that general area. There's been some stories of even Hitler making his way up to parts of Peru. Uh, we know that they were in the general area of the Andes. The, let's just say that they were in the general area of what was once the Incan Empire. I think we would be accurate in saying that. So um, it's very likely that um, there are underground uh, tunnels. I would say I would say that in my mind, I know in Steve's mind, it's 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 very definite that there are underground tunnels, part of the Shinkana system in South America, that actually lead to Antarctica. Remember the closest point, uh, Argentina. I think Steve that in Argentina, southern Argentina and Patagonia, it's the closest you can get on land to Argentina. Am I correct? In, I mean, to uh, uh, Antarctica. Am I correct in saying that? Yes. So the, the, it, it wouldn't be even that far of a distance underground to get to Antarctica from Argentina. So I think that's one of the reasons why so many of the Nazis uh, made their way to that part of the world. But um, certainly uh, Francis Bacon, in my mind, because he was a Rosicrucian and uh, probably very likely the leader of the Rosicrucians, he studied under John Dee, the famous uh, magician uh, in Queen Elizabeth's court. And... Uh, surely they were in possession of this knowledge. Uh, according to Manley P. Hall, this was very ancient knowledge. It was, it was knowledge that belonged to what he called the Order of the Quest. And um, Francis Bacon, in his book, The New Atlantis, which is a very cryptic book, in my opinion, not even very well written, I happen to believe that Francis Bacon is uh, William Shakespeare. But... Um, the New Atlantis is not, it's not, it's not a, it's not a very, uh, uh, it's not written in the sort of poetic po pro prose that you would, um, expect from Francis Bacon because it's so very cryptic. It's a very esoteric, uh, work in which he basically communicates. I believe in the book he's communicating to the mystery schools, to the adepts of the mystery schools. He's communicating the kind of technologies that the mystery schools, that the, that the order of the quest, are aware of, that they know that these uh, technologies existed in the world, and Francis Bacon was, in a sense, predicting that they would once again exist uh, in the world. And, Tim, that's uh, very interesting, uh, and I don't mean to cut you off, but we are up against no, uh, the break, um, and Francis Bacon's The New Atlantis, folks, you can search online uh, The New Atlantis new atlantis pdf and you can get a free copy or read that for free online um it's a very interesting book and very cryptic uh, as you said um there's definitely some some interesting chapters and passages in that book that uh still leave me scratching my head folks we'll be right back with steve quayle from stevequayle.com and tim alberino from the alberino analysis stay with us True Legends, the series. That's truelegendsthe-series.com. Truelegendsthe-series.com. Or just go to stevequail.com and click on the link to True Legends, the series. Watch the Legacy Sculpture series there. That was posted uh, just uh, really hours ago, two uh, two days ago, really. And um, 
take a look take a look at what's there. You know, it's so important to support this project, Timothy Alberino and Steve Quayle. We've got to get the support so additional exploration can be done and this is what it's all about Steve Quill, stevequill.com Timothy Alberino, the Alberino analysis with us right now and we so rudely interrupted uh, Tim Alberino during this uh, for the break but Tim continue with what you were saying if you don't mind Tim are you there yes Okay, go ahead and um, I will, Sorry about that. I'll just wrap, I'll wrap my thoughts up real quick on Francis Bacon here to kind of let people on a cliffhanger. So Francis Bacon in his book, in his, uh, in his book, The New Atlantis, um, he knew about these, these advanced technologies and, and he knew that we would have skyscrapers. Uh, he knew that we would have, uh, very advanced underground bases and cities. He knew that we would have laser technology. Um, he knew that we would have magnifying glasses, ear, earphones. Um, I mean, just as like a dozen things that this guy was uh, was able to foresee, and, and and the reason why he could look ahead and see the technologies that would be appearing on the Earth is because he was looking behind. He was in he was in possession of the information concerning the world before the flood of Noah, and in fact, we know that that's the case because Francis Bacon, when talking about the island of Bensalem, he describes it as a place that survived after the great cataclysm, after the great flood. So this is a civilization, a pre-flood civilization, an advanced civilization that survived uh, the flood, and they're in possession of all of this fantastic um, uh, technology. And uh, specifically, uh, it's the, it's the, um, uh, it's, they're called, the, they're called the, uh, the fathers of Solomon's house, the, uh, the secret society members that control the technology, that know about the technology, that distribute the technology on the island of Bensalem. But it's very interesting because the Francis Bacon says that they decide, they confer among themselves. Uh, they confer amongst themselves, these, these fathers of the house of, of Solomon's house, uh, as to what technologies they're going to uh, make the public aware of and what technologies they're going to conceal. And so um, Francis Bacon is simply he he is in he was in possession of some of the mystery school knowledge concerning the high technology that existed in the world before it was decimated in the flood of Noah, and uh, it was it was it was more than just a prescient um, extrapolation by. By Francis Bacon, he was actually holding the documentation in his hands. He knew that the technology would resurface. Furthermore, he was foreseeing a time in which Atlantis would reemerge in the world, new Atlantis. And in my mind, uh, having read a lot of this esoteric stuff from Manley P. Hall and Bacon and, and the others, in my mind, when they refer to Atlantis, specifically what they're referring to is... <clears throat> What they're referring to, excuse me, is the resurrection of the golden age, of the golden age, the reemergence of the dynamics that were taking place on the earth before the flood of Noah. And of course, that is absolutely uh, centric to the content of our films. 
What's important, Doug, too, is is that we've had a lot of people, ladies and gentlemen, we don't have, uh, you know, the deep, deep pockets that some of the History Channel and, and National Geographic and others that have an agenda. I think I've said enough times that those guys always want to get myself or Tom Horn or even Tim, when I say even Tim, because he's, you know, now uh, obviously being featured in the films, they know that what he's up to. We don't have their budget, so one of the things that we're doing is putting together the True Legends VIP Expedition and Conference in Cusco, Peru, uh, June 11th through the 18th. Now, this is so critical because all roads not only lead to Cusco, but they lead to uh, every place in the great underground tunnel system of the world. It's my understanding, and it's my uh, basis of working thesis, that when the flood was known to be coming, the giants with their technology and their fallen angel fathers went about building this vast underground tunnel system throughout the world. That's why we refer to it as Cyclopean architecture. But So we're going to take 20 people maximum to uh, Peru, and this is going to be a pretty uh, astonishing uh, expedition and conference, and we're calling it the True Legends VIP Expedition and Conference. There's so much stuff to see, and I don't mean just sightseeing, but to understand. There, there's no way, even in the DVDs, to put into perspective uh, how vast this subject is. So, Tim, do you want to explain uh, just kind of what the expedition will entail? Because I think this is an amazing thing. By the way, I'm going on it, so it's got to be interesting. Yeah, if I'm going to go on this thing, only because there's so much happening, and we'll have uh, uh, some pretty amazing uh, time with Anselm P. Rambla. So, Tim, go ahead and run through the whole VIP expedition and conference. Well, we've been thinking about this for a long time, that it would be a great idea uh, to follow up our films with um, with VIP expeditions, we're calling them, which are open to the public, uh, to kind of retrace our steps in a, in a conference setting, but also out in the field, and, uh, um, but, but in, a, in a format that is comfortable. Um, and uh, so we obviously we decided to, to, to start where we started, which was in Peru and uh, in Cusco, in the navel of the world, because there's so much to see, because if you have the understanding of the pre-flood world, which we trust our audience does at this point, and then you go stand before the walls of Sacsayhuaman, uh, or you stand before the walls at, at Ojantay Tambo or even up in Machu Picchu. Um, you, it, it, it brings to life. It manifests physically, uh, the things that we've been saying and, um, the, the story, the narrative of the ancient world, the history of the pre-flood world becomes alive. It's tangible. You can touch it. You can see it. And it just really adds a, a whole nother dynamic, um, uh, to the information. So, um, at the uh, at the behest of of our audience and and certain individuals who've been who we've been talking to, we've decided to to launch our True Legends VIP expeditions beginning in Cusco, Peru. It's an expedition and and conference. Um, the tentative dates are June 11th through the 18th uh, of next year. And we're going to cap it out at 20 guests um, uh, for logistical reasons. But the, the basically the package, the expedition package, is going to include some really amazing stuff. By the way, this is a five-star uh, expedition. In other words, this is everything is basically everything is five-star 
on this expedition, and you know what I mean in a minute. We're going to be spending six full days in Cusco, seven full days in Peru in total. Um, it's going to be guided tours to the most important megalithic sites in the region, um, guided tours with, with me. But what's really exciting is we have Anselm P. Rambla on board. Anselm P. Rambla will be with us for the duration of the trip. For those of you who have seen um, uh, True Legends Episode 2, The Unholy Sea, you'll be familiar with Anselm P. Rambla. He is the Spanish explorer uh, that we feature in the film um, a renowned explorer and, and researcher. He's the one who proved without a, he proved two things without a shadow of a doubt that have, that have been completely overlooked on the archaeological, uh, in the archaeological world. The first thing he proved was that Sacsayhuaman was definitely not built by the Inca. And in fact, the, the, all of the megaliths in the Cusco region and all over Peru and Bolivia were definitely not built by the Inca. He absolutely proved it. He proved it with a, uh, with an archaeological dig, with a professional, professional investigation. And, uh, also the second thing he proved is that the Shinkana exists. Uh, he, he, he presented undeniable proof of this fact again using the same scientific means he did with ground penetrating radar he actually was was brought down into this for those of you who didn't see the film was actually brought down beneath the church uh, the convent of Santo Domingo in what is now the Coricancha uh, I'm sorry into the Coricancha down and underneath the Coricancha what is now the convent of Santo Domingo in Cusco uh, which we will be visiting with Anselm P. Rambla he, was, he actually saw the 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 uh, a part of this uh, underground uh, tunnel system. This it was lined with megalithic stones, uh, cyclopean architecture. As Steve said so. Um, uh, Anselm P. Ramblas is a very professional and excellent researcher. He's 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 from Spain. He's Spanish, um, and uh, he's in very high demand around the world. And he is delighted, excited to join us in Cusco. Again, for the duration of our trip, he will be uh, one of the speakers at our conference. Um, uh, we're going to be the primary sites that we're going to be visiting in the Cusco region are Sacsayhuaman, uh, Tambo Machai, Machu Picchu, Ojantay Tambo, the Coricancha, and we're going to be touring the streets of Cusco. Again, people are going to get an inside uh, take on the megaliths, on what they really represent, um, from myself, from Steve, from Anselm P. Rambla in the field, putting your hands on the stones and uh, being able to to have a, a a tangible sense of the content of the Genesis six narrative uh, that we've been talking about. Um, we have we're going to have three evenings of 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 conference meetings. Um, uh, the speakers are Steve, myself, and Anselm P. Rambla. We'll all be presenting a, a presentation relevant to the content of our films, relevant to the region, the Cusco region. Um, the, as I said before, the whole thing is going to be a five-star trip. We're staying in five-star hotels, some of the nicest, I would say the nicest hotel in Cusco and also up at Machu Picchu. Um, we're going to be doing uh, uh, the, uh, the luxury train ride to Machu Picchu, um, so it's, uh, there's, there's, um, uh, really, I don't think anybody has really done anything quite like this because, for one thing, nobody has had Steve Quayle and Anselm P. Rambla in the field together, uh, and, or in the field at all on this kind of a thing. So I'm really excited to, to, to hang out with these guys and, and I'm really excited for Steve to meet Anselm P. Rambla because, um, 
Uh, I've, I've met him only through cyberspace, but the guy's really fascinating. Um, he has a lot to say, and he has done the scientific work uh, that proves a lot of the, it proves the premises of, 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 uh, of our films. Absolutely, his work, the scientific work he's done. So, um, we're really looking forward to it. Again, it's going to be, it's going to be closed at 20 guests max. And the, the, the price tag for this trip is pretty high. It's $7,500 per person, but it is a five star trip. And obviously what we're doing is we're looking for people to help us make more films. That's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to achieve. And that's what we will achieve um, because our, our films are getting rave reviews all over the place. But you guys have to understand who we're competing with. We're competing with the Discovery Channel. We're competing with the History Channel. We're competing with all of those of the documentaries going up on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon. Um, and so we're, we're, we're competing against the ancient a- aliens narrative. And... and, and and we have to understand that the ancient aliens narrative, the Zechariah Sitchin narrative, is very well funded. Very well funded. And it's funded by uh, the enemies of the truth in many cases. And so uh, we're doing this all on our own. Steve was approached before we started uh, our series. Uh, Steve was approached by different uh, major television channels. We had the opportunity to produce uh, films or, or series uh, to go on regular TV, but but I I, I think Steve wisely chose uh, that we want to control the narrative. We do not want uh, our research and our words to be warped, to be changed uh, in support of a non-biblical narrative. Uh, we won't have it, and so that means that we want to compete with these guys, and so we have to raise the kind of funds uh, that we need to do that. And obviously our films are available through our audience, through the, these platforms, Hagman and Hagman, who have been so gracious in allow, allowing us to talk about our films, and through Steve's website, through Vimeo, and, um, and the sale of our DVDs. But we want to expand. Our goal is to expand. And uh, in fact, we would love in the future to be able to produce uh, uh, movies, to be able to produce documentary films that are theater quality. And that not only can compete with these other films and documentaries, but overtake them in terms of quality and content and, and quality of post-production. I mean, we're really aiming high. We have, uh, we have, our goals are set very high. And so, um, we're inviting people to join us on this trip. As I said, it's going to fill up fast because this is, this is really an unprecedented trip. Um, to, to, to bring Steve Quayle together with, uh, Anselm P. Ramla to be able to visit these, uh, these sites, and so we're really excited about it. Doug, do you want to comment before I go into uh, explaining some stuff that's going on that I think it will be critical? Go ahead, sir. No, go, no, go, you know what, Steve? Okay. You got the mic, brother. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, one of the very first statues or bronzes I commissioned was David and Goliath. And boy, now Tim and I and the people involved with us know how difficult it is to come up against the biggest guys in the world with all the money literally in the world. And God has been faithful. Uh, there have been a couple of people uh, that have stepped up and helped us to uh, be able to bring what we brought to the screen so far. But 
I'm going to be putting up on my website momentarily some of the sculptors that are done by one of the most famous sculptors in the world, Mark Patrick. You've seen a couple of them. The one, there's a picture of me with the giant uh, Indian uh, uh, of legend, Gusclop, who's running down bison, and it was stated that he could carry a bison under each arm and eat them on the run. Now, if you think that's interesting, it's, it's now coming into public knowledge that something happened to the uh, Pueblo Indians in the desert southwest, especially the Four Corners area around the Crow Canyon region, in which obviously the uh, evidence now indicates that uh, a lot of the uh, Native Americans were destroyed, literally eaten on the run. Now, that's not the official narrative of the National Park Service. And what's important to understand this. We also have another way to help fund this. I've commissioned, I think, what, six sculptors now that are available. They're very expensive. If anybody wants to, and it's all stated on the page, it's a video conference set I filmed with Tim and uh, Vinny, our cameraman, the other day to put it up. In essence, if you're interested in supporting us, you'll get one of the limited edition sculptors. By the way, these things are in the tens of thousands of dollars even to have them made. I've wanted to always do, bring into a three-dimensional world so many of the two-dimensional art pieces that you see in my on my website in the illustrations. So that will go up momentarily, Doug, after. So let me give a good example. We have three sculptors that are available at $25,000 a piece. Now, for the record, just so sculptors sell from anywhere from fifteen to 20000 so people buy the sculpture. If they'd like to have it, they get the trip to Cusco. One sculptor, one person. We have the giant Roman sculpture, which you can see that is literally 15 different uh, hand-sculpted soldiers and giants, and that's even a, that's, that's like not only one of a kind, but there's nothing like it that exists except in the photograph, or excuse me, the illustration that Brian Snowdy did. That's on my website under illustrations, and that is an, a masterful piece. You can have a one-of-a-kind on that, and that's for a donation of 50000 Now, what's critical to understand, these, these, and this is, not with, this is not with profit. We are now, Doug, just breaking even on two of the DVDs because, obviously, you know, we're the little guys on the block, but these, these video productions are costing a quarter of a million dollars. We take a cameraman, for instance, and we got one of, uh, you know, a pretty amazing cameraman. We've got two amazing cameramen's but uh, cameramen but the point is is they're about a thousand bucks a day so when you're gone for 21 days you can understand how much money not to mention travel not to mention room and board so the thing is is that ladies and gentlemen we're looking for people that want to stand with us some of you really have never won anybody to the Lord now let me share this this uh, DVD series has gone worldwide. I think we're maybe up to 60, 70, 80 countries. I know that just selling the DVDs uh, around the world, we're at least at 60. But the point that's critical is people are saying, now I get it. Now I understand why I could never really fully grasp why God would command the children of Israel to go into the uh, promised land and kill every man, woman, and child. It's because they were genetic hybrids. And it's uh, if a little leaven leavens a whole lump, you can imagine what the DNA does. What we've been able to do with this Cusco trip and with the statues is hopefully fund uh, 
you know, True Legends Episode 3, the post-production. Post-production normally costs about 50000 bucks. And by the way, there's no secrets. It really costs this much. Those of you who are in the film business know, and we're doing this thing in, in as, as, I guess you'd say, fiscally responsible position. So we're not asking for you to give us money. What we're asking for is you to stand with us. And in order to show our appreciation, we will provide you with the sculpture of your choice. And those will be up on my website momentarily because there's a six or seven minute video along with the uh, trailer for The Unholy Sea. So take a look at those. If you're interested, send me steve777 at stevequail.com, steve777 at stevequail.com, and just put, you can put either expedition or uh, sculptures. Some of you may not want to go, but ladies and gentlemen, this is your chance. Now, look, we've got a reprieve. I don't know how long a reprieve we've got with the election of Donald Trump. Whether you like him or not, we've got a temporary reprieve. But the axe falls at some point in the future. And so we want to make the best use of time. And, and if God grants us the grace of another year, I don't know, another six months, we're reaching people all over the world. So like I said, I'll just say this one last time. Some of you have never had the joy or the blessing of leading anybody to Jesus. But when you stand behind what we're doing, I promise you, and I can tell you this, from all over the world, with the obviously the people that don't like me or don't like what I do or anything. Uh, the rave reviews, I think uh, Tim, uh, even Anselm said it was one of the finest, and this this is accurate, go ahead and chime in, but it was one of the most amazing produced DVD documentaries he's ever seen. Is that not correct? Yeah, he was extremely pleased um, right. with so, how we portrayed the Shinkana, and he, and he thought it was absolutely amazing the, the way we put that film together. Right. So I'm putting up the uh, the the statues. If you're interested, just put in the send me an email and say statues. Again, with the statues, with the donation, it's a gift for the statues. You know, we'll, you'll get the trip to Cusco, one statue per person, uh, and. You're, if you want to just get the statues and you don't want the trip, it's the same price. Well, all we're trying to do is basically make this possible. As of today, I think we may have four to six people already signed up. Somebody said, well, what will happen if the more people want to sign up? Then Tim will be spending more time in Peru than in the States, okay? Because, again, we need people to stand with us. And and for those of you that have purchased our DVDs and given us, you know, donations, some people donate $5 a month. We have something special in mind for you. And when I say that, it doesn't matter uh, for the biggest or the smallest. We have something that will be, uh, what I say, specifically detailed to you in our appreciation. It's free. You don't have to pay for it. Others will have to pay for it. And I'm not talking about the DVD. So we really do appreciate everyone that's praying. And I guess, Doug, the hardest thing to get across to people, and maybe I fail at communication in this realm, is we're up against the most powerful spiritual wickedness in the world. We're up against absolute murder people that will do anything to keep their agenda hidden. 
If it weren't for the people's intercession and also those who are standing with us financially, God bless you, Cam and Jan, and those of you, Gary and, and David, and those of you who have stood with us. But we need we need someone just to say, I know what these guys are doing. Please, ladies and gentlemen, at the end of the day, here's what the Scripture says. They who win souls are wise. This isn't about going and seeing a bunch of ancient ruins. This isn't about, you know, gee, I get a trip to South America and get to stay in the best hotels and take the equivalent of the Andes Orient Express, and that's what it is. This is about laying out before everybody the theme and the central, uh, if you will, thread of truth throughout the biblical narrative to put everything, and God even said there was a time when it would be sealed up in the book of Daniel, that there comes a time, and we believe we're in that time right now, to basically uh, watch the fulfillment of the word of the Lord come to pass, and so you get to play a part in that if you'll stand with us. And by the way, I just want to make this statement. I was just notified in email by my webmaster in Colorado that our shopping cart, we're switching over our shopping cart uh, in order to accommodate our international sales on shipping. It was, has been a nightmare. I apologize to everyone, but that may be down for 24 hours. So the point that uh, we're trying to do is make everything easier. Please, again, understand. And, and again, Doug, this is, this is maybe you can say it better than I can. But Tim and I are putting our hearts into it, and we, we're, we're putting our lives into it, literally on the line, and that's not melodrama. And I don't, I don't think most people understand when drones are watching you, obviously somebody's very concerned. So maybe yeah, you, you, Doug, can put it well, into well, better yeah, terms than I can. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, I, I sense Yeah, that. if go I ahead. could just add real quick, too. Um, people can, you can write, you can write to Steve's website. You can also write to, to, um, Gen6Productions at gmail.com. That's Gen6Productions at gmail.com for any inquiry, really. But especially if you're interested in going on the trip, um, we will send you a PDF with all of the details concerning the trip. I know some of you are already wondering, how do I get details? Write to Gen6Productions at gmail.com. We will send you a PDF with all of the information. Um, for those of you who've made donations to us, we've been getting donations from all over the place. We thank you. God bless you. Thank you for helping us. Um, we've been getting, you know, ev everything helps. I mean, everything helps us do what we do. And so we, we, we can't thank you enough for that. You can, if you want to make a donation, you can go to truelegendsoftheseries.com, click on the PayPal button, and, and make it uh, through PayPal, through our website. Um, we are also planning on creating a lot more free content. That's part of what we want to do is expand our operations to be able to produce a lot more videos for free. Our documentaries, we fund ourselves with our documentaries and with these VIP expedition trips, but we want to also be able to produce a lot more free content. we got a lot of stuff in the works um, so that you can just follow us on YouTube or on Vimeo and uh, enjoy the free content that we, we will be releasing on a weekly basis in the future. We need to add some more staff, and we're tied up in documentary films right now, that's so, so that's why we're also trying to expand. And then also right, I want way. people to understand that this is an international, this is open to anybody all over the world. This isn't just for Americans who want to go on this trip. You can come from anywhere in the world. So send an email to gen6productions at gmail.com for more information. Thank you, gentlemen. We're up against the top of the hour. God bless both of you. We will keep hammering this home. It's a, it's the greatest of the great. I mean, this is, this is super important. Steve, Tim, gotta go. Thank you so much. God bless. Stay safe. We'll talk to you very soon. We're going to be right back, folks. Stay right, right where you're at.
goodness for Eric the Tech. What a guy. Eric the Tech. He doesn't get any respect. Follow him at, uh, on Twitter. That's real tech, uh, real tech Eric. At real tech Eric on Twitter. Yeah. Also, our social networking, uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Follow me on Facebook and Twitter or whatever you call that. However you term that. I don't know. I still have a rotary phone in my office. I was telling JD that today. HagmanReport.com for news information and analysis and Hagman and Hagman for the show, uh, information. It's, it's important. We, you know, the news is breaking every, every second of every day. It seems like the news, the headlines all the time. Um, sometimes I just like to settle down, you know, just settle down, especially on a Sunday, break bread with my family, have a glass of wine. Folks, if you like good wine, but can't even spell or say sommelier, it's time to take the stress out of wine shopping. Try Wink. In fact, here's the website. Now I want you to write this down. Trywink.com. That's T-R-Y-W-I-N-C, trywink.com slash hagman, trywink.com slash hagman. This is the new way to get all of the best wines perfectly matched to your palate. I've tried it. I love getting deliveries of the wines that are selected for me based on my palate. Now, Wink, it's spelled W-I-N-C. It works directly with winemakers and growers from all over the world to create delicious wine and deliver it right to your door. Wink is a hundred percent satisfaction guaranteed. Their hundred percent satisfaction guarantee means that if you don't like a bottle they send to you, they'll replace it with a bottle that you'll sure love, no questions asked. I don't just get sent random random bottles, folks. Wink is a personalized wine membership that recommends wine specifically for me based on the results of my palate profile quiz. I also rate all of the wine I received from Wink so they learn about me with every order and constantly personalize the wine they send. I think I'm in month five or something and I've never gotten a bad wine and oh I've grown to appreciate the uh, the full bodiness of some of the red wines I've tried and it's so great to, to with your with your wife or your husband or your your family to share a glass of wine talk about the the week but, but the best part, folks, here's the best part. Go to trywink.com slash Hagman. Now, again, it's trywink.com forward slash Hagman, and that's with two N's, H-A-G-M-A-N-N. Wink is offering you folks, our listeners to our show, $20 off right now when you go to trywink.com slash Hagman complimentary shipping. You can't beat that. Think about that. You'll get fine wine personalized to your palate, delivered right to your door. Again, try Wink and get $20 off plus complimentary shipping right now when you go to trywink.com slash Hagman. That's try, W-I-N-C trywink.com slash Hagman. Fantastic. Joe? This hour, we have host of No Compromise Radio, Pastor Mike Abenroth. I like Abenroth. No Compromise. No Compromise. Yeah, Pastor Mike Abenroth. He's a senior pastor at Bethlehem Bible Church in West Bolston, uh, Massachusetts, since April 1997. And Mike's passion is preaching the Bible in a verse-by-verse fashion and training other men to do so the same. Um these, they got a great website, nocompromiseradio.com. They have a free mailing list you can be a part of, a blog, as well as the No Compromise Radio podcast. And, um, 
it's a very interesting uh, uh, website. Book the website, nocompromiseradio.com. Mike is also an author, and he's got some books that um, we're going to uh, be talking about, as yes. well as some other stuff. And Mike's newest book, Evangelical White Lies, is available now on Amazon. Uh, Mr. Abendroth, <laughs> it's great to have you on the Hagman and Hagman Report. You know what, guys? I'm glad to be on uh, in light of that last commercial. Good thing I'm not a fundamentalist. Well, even if you were, we we we'd convert you. No, I mean, <laughs> I tell you, you know, it's it's uh, you know, to me, okay, family time is so important. And anyway, so well, welcome to the program. I mean, really, it's uh, well, we've glad, heard a lot about I'm glad, you. I'm, well, I'm glad to be on. And uh, our mutual friend Brandon House, I think, is the one who referred me. So I'm, I'm glad to talk about things in the no compromise radio style. If you please. Okay. You kind of winked out there yeah. for a minute. I don't know if uh, I, I was looking at, wondering whether that was me or you. Anyway, or, or us. But anyway, so, okay. Yeah, Brandon, Brandon House. House. Yeah, he's been a guest a few times on the show, um, and just a tremendous guy. Uh, covered a lot of, uh, of ground last time he was on. Um, where would you like to start on this broadcast? You're new to this program, um, and you cover a lot of ground on your website. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at your website. I was thinking, we, uh, yeah, I wasn't sure where to start, but no compromise is a good place to start given today. Things that go bump in the church, interesting. I mean, I, yeah, where do you, exactly, Joe? Where, where should Mike start? Where do you want to start, Mike? And we lost him. Uh, Todd, See, I'm going to send, we, we, we I'm sending Todd a, a backup that. number as well as a Skype. The reason we didn't connect via Skype is because he's been having problems. The mic has been having problems with his Skype lately, so we went with the landline. Uh, but we'll get him back and up and running. Folks, again, um, nocompromiseradio.com. That's what he's You yeah, go to website. his website, sign up for the free mailing list. All they ask is your first and last name and your email address. You will get updates on the daily blog, the No Compromise Radio blog, as well as um, the No Compromise Radio radio show. And, and you know what, folks, while we're waiting for Mike, I, just real quick here, uh, something that crossed my mind, I really want everyone to pay attention to. Politico's running a story, Soros bans with donors to resist Trump, take back power. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, Joe, I know you're on this, the hard and heavy. And check the website in the morning. There's yeah. stories that are going to be up there pertaining particularly exactly. to this and a number of other things. Dem is trying to push uh, legislation through to eliminate the Electoral College. You got you got some weird stuff happening out there. You, you got, you got uh, Pelosi, Warren, Ellison, union bosses uh, meeting behind closed doors in D.C. And they're planning a coup even worse than, than uh, what we saw before. Okay, we do have Mike back. Mike... Uh, Sorry about that. I don't know how we lost here. I think it was uh, my fault, guys. You know, we have sometimes uh, maybe some problems with these Massachusetts phone lines. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I'll reserve comment for Mass. Uh, but that's all right. Yeah. Anyway, you know, so, I'm glad to be on, and uh, I, I think about your 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 topics, and uh, I am fair game for anything you want to talk about. I've been doing daily radio for about six years, so uh, I'm just ready to roll with the punches. All right. Do you, you want to, well, go ahead, Joe. Let's talk about, um, you know, we've had a very interesting last 30 days with the presidential election um, and all that that entailed with the WikiLeaks, the revealing of the level of corruption of Hillary Clinton. Perversion. That many have not 
or were not exposed to that had not been paying attention even to the uh, aspects of Satanistic rituals that were being conducted by uh, members of Clinton campaign and Clinton herself and the spiritual darkness. Um, Mike, as you're you're a leader of a church uh, and a pastor, um, did you feel a, a spiritual sense of relief after the election results were announced last Tuesday? Yeah, it's a good question. I think on one hand I do because I uh, hate it when you think of any type of abortion or killing of a child and infanticide. And so, of course, with the Democratic Party having that uh, sin uh, as part of their platform, I, I, I also think... You know what, I, I value my freedom. If I have to go to jail for preaching the Bible, I will. Uh, but I feel like there's been a respite now, too, so I don't have to go to jail in the next 10 or 15 years. And so those two things made me relieved. On the flip side, I sat next to a lady on a plane a few days ago from L.A. to Boston, and she said, it was the day after the election, she said, are you really happy today or are you really sad? I, I tried to be empathetic, and I said, well, I felt uh, today, uh, uh, I, the way you feel today, I felt four years ago and eight years ago. And so certainly God is still on the throne, and I, I know God works through rulers, and whether it's Darius or Cyrus or Stalin, God's bigger than, than all those people. And so I see both sides. I, I can rest in the sovereignty of God, but I also think, you know what? We're holding uh, back some of the floodgates of the spiritual darkness that you talked about after this last election. You think, you know, thank you um, for that, but do you think that we could be, look, I know that that our salvation does not rest in man, and certainly no one man, it rests in God, but on the earthly plane, the the, the battles we're fighting here, um, anything that, well, I'm looking, I, 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 I'm looking at the current events, and I'm seeing this. I, I feel like I'm being set up. I don't know how many of you folks out there, listeners, or uh, Mike yourself, you know, uh, if you've ever been like set up, you know, made you know made the fool or played for the fool or whatever. But I just feel like there's something. I don't know something about ready to happen. Maybe it's my paranoia. Maybe it's you know, or or, or maybe it's a little voice or spirit. Um, I don't know. But do you feel that there's something going on out there that just doesn't seem right to you? I mean, I don't. I don't there's just well, uh, I you know, back in the old days we used to have moral majority, and it's hard to determine a majority by the morals by majority, of course, because I think the scriptures are clear. But on the flip side now, once you get enough people voting for what they want, so they say to themselves, I, I'm i going to vote in a way that will help me the most, and I can benefit the most, then I think you see a lot of strange things happen to whether it's a democracy or a republic or any other place. And so I see a lot of that, and I think that's just fueled by selfishness. Uh, once you abandon absolute truth, then you're going to do what's what's right in your eyes. You know, you remember the book of Judges, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And so once the Constitution is fluid, and you interpret it the, whatever way you want, uh, you do, people do the same thing with Scripture. Hey, however we want to interpret this, we will, whatever it means to me, and you've got the, the wrong statement when you say that. Whatever it means, it means what it means. When we're dead or alive, what does this text mean? So I see a lot of those things kind of uh, conflating together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
if we can if we can switch gears a little bit and get into um, some aspects of the church, can you tell us a little bit about your church and um, what you do for your your congregation on a weekly basis? What you try to focus on and and teach, and how your church is different from other churches out there? Sure, thank you. I appreciate that question. I moved uh, here outside of Boston about twenty years ago uh, from Los Angeles. And I just started teaching the Bible verse by verse. I'm in the book of Hebrews now that talks about Jesus as a great high priest. And I just go verse by verse. It'll probably take me three years to get through the book. And so we're just a Bible teaching church. Uh, no affiliation, uh, just Bible teaching. And so I preach for about 45 minutes. And I try to tell the people, you know, we li- we learn about ourselves enough and we focus on ourselves enough. And so this is worship, giving worth to another and uh, we're not worthy of that. So we're just preaching the Bible, uh, talking about who Jesus is. I tell people, if you like to hear about Jesus, you'll like this church. If you're here for programs in a nice parking lot, uh, although those are fine to have, but if that's the priority, you won't like this church. So I think I'm fairly, you know, I'm kind of an honorary person, and so kind of a no-compromise person. So I, it works out well here in New England. I probably would have got fired in, in California. Yeah. Uh, I understand that. So, does your status stop you? For example, do you talk about uh, abortion? Do you talk about uh, the homosexuality? I'm just curious because a lot of preachers shy away from that, and they tolerate what should be intolerable, in my view. Yeah, well, those two topics, well, I might not talk about taxes per se, except to say pay your taxes in light of Romans 13. But those two issues are moral issues and righteousness are unrighteousness issues. And so I definitely deal with those. The world now wants to say sin is good and righteous when the Bible says it's not. Of course, homosexuality is a sin. It's a forgivable sin. Uh, but the Bible says clearly that people that practice that sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so I have a bigger agenda than Democratic-Republican because prostitute, policeman, Republican, or Democrat, if you're not born again, you're going to go to hell when you die anyway. So I, I have a bigger end game. Uh, but preaching through the Bible verse by verse, you will come across abortion issues in life, uh, Psalm 139, for instance. And you'll also come across, I just was preaching First Corinthians, and chapter 6 discusses that very thing. It talks about heterosexual sin, that is all sex outside of marriage, and homosexual sin, uh, all sex between people of the same uh, gender. And so I just preach through those things. I don't want to do it in a self-righteous way. I'm, I'm certainly not better than anyone else. Self-righteousness is a sin. But this is a sin, and if you don't recognize sin as sin, you don't look for a savior. So if somebody says, "Oh, you're born that way," or "You're, you know, this is a good thing," let's applaud it, let's celebrate it. That's Romans one kind of language. So the great part about preaching the Bible verse by verse, you'll hit all these kind of topics. I have friends that'll say, "Well, you can't talk about that. That's political. Uh, it has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with life and death and uh, what's right and how to honor God." And so the answer to your question. Uh, I think going back to four years ago when uh, President Obama uh, was looking for a pastor to speak at his inauguration, they quickly uncovered that this man had spoke about homosexuality 21 years ago. And uh, you're not going to have to look that far in my past to find out that I address that because it's a very important issue. 
Hence, no compromise, right? I mean, because you can't compromise the Bible. You can't compromise the Word of God. Right, and that's what we see in, in the world today. The churches are compromising uh, the Word of God in place for uh, the way of the world and engaging the things of the world and, and conforming to the world rather than you know, not compromising the Word of God at all the way it should be, the way it's designed to be. But um, churches are you know, gone astray um, in these times that we live in. Right. Well, what happens is, of course, I understand audiences and congregations, and I want to try to talk to them. But if you say to yourself, uh, I'm going to, as a pastor especially, I'm going to please the church and the media and the world and and uh, the newspapers and, and the Boston Herald, that's who I'm after in terms of my number one audience member. That's where the compromise slips in, because... We just endear ourselves and engender ourselves to those people, and we have to say the right things because we're obviously odd. We're not talking about what the world talks about in their way. But if you say, you know what, I'm going to preach that God might be happy if Jesus could walk in today and sit here, would he like this sermon about himself today? And then if I think, you know, uh, it's Latin, Coram Deo, in the face of God, if he's happy, I'm happy. And I think that's what we have to do. I mean, where are those kind of men and women anymore? If you read Christian biographies from William Carey, to India and Hudson Taylor to China and uh, David Livingston to Africa. You just go down the list. Adoniram Judson into Burma. Every one of those people, Mary Slessor uh, into Africa, every one of them said, you know what? We're tempted to give in to what the world says and what they want, but we're just not going to do it. So I just think those are my heroes, besides the biblical heroes, people that will just stand up. You can say it nicely. You don't have to scream. There, there's no you know, veins popping out of my head, but this is truth, and this is what the Bible says, and I love you enough to tell you the truth. And so I think, I think that's the, just the best way to go about it. But in our PC kind of talk and microaggressions and, and here's the teddy bears because we don't want to make you feel bad, listen. Sin makes you feel bad. You're supposed to have a conscience that's not seared. So when you think, you know what, I don't measure up, I feel awful. And now what we're trying to do is placate all these people to say, you know what, with medicine, with uh, pharmaceuticals, with everything else, don't feel bad. That's the worst thing we can do is make you feel bad. And uh, think about it in a temporal fashion. You take your finger, you touch the stove, you think, wow, that burned. Uh, you don't say, God, I'm, I'm mad at you for giving me nerves. You say, no, thank you, I'm glad for that, because I'll, I'll know not to do it again. But we've just, we've just uh, pickled people's brains with drugs and with media, and so there's, there's no conscience anymore. The conscience is the collective, and, and that's the sad part. Uh, yes, it is. And, you know, sadly, the uh, majority of Americans out there, um, you know, we were going over statistics of people who consider themselves to be Christians, I think it was 70% of, of Americans consider themselves to be Christians, yet so few actually uh, practice the Christian faith. And when I say practice, I mean uh, pray on a semi-regular basis, read their Bible on a semi-regular basis, or to more generally put it, having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That is absent in the church today, um, and that is both the fault of uh, the pastors as well as the congregation uh, the congregations uh, that you know are not doing their due diligence in keeping their personal relationship with Jesus but the pastors have have gone askew 
and uh, many churches and denominations are teaching a different gospel. And we're coming up against a break in about five minutes, uh, Mike. And if we could, on the other side, I'd really like to get into your Evangelical White Lies book and kind of um, understand, um, you know, what uh, your your take on, on these white lies that are within the Christian church um, and how they are affecting us in our spiritual uh, walk. Um, because it, it's a very important topic, and many uh, people, especially Christians, you know, we've noticed that Christians are most judgmental against other Christians. Um in, in doing this radio show, and I'm sure you've come across this as well, is that if you uh, talk about a doctrine that somebody, another Christian, disagrees with your theology, you know, they attack you uh, regardless of even what's in the Bible, just based on their own understanding, even if you're quoting right from the, the Word of God. And um, well, we see you know this what, 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 Joe, Why don't we ask uh, here in the next couple of minutes, uh, Mike? What is the basis for the Christian versus Christian uh, scenario today? I mean, what, what's what's that caused by? I've never seen I've never seen Christians eat up other Christians before as much as I have today. Yeah, well, I think I think the question will require more than two minutes, but maybe just a few things off the top of my head. One is. Uh, I don't think people really know the Bible very much, and so they're arguing from ignorance because they don't know what's in the book. Think about it. We are a a nation of non-readers, if I can use that term. People read one to two books a year, and they just want to say they're visual learners, for instance, and they just don't read. And so if you don't read, you can't slow down, think through, process things, think antithetically, think with propositions, think with logic. People don't understand logic these days, and so if you don't know those things, things, then the arguments that happen frequently are just emotionally based. And if we did go back to the sources, you think about even the Renaissance and early reformers, ad fontes back to the sources, then I don't think the argument would be as grave or as deep because we would sit down and say, you know what, it's not what I think, it's not what you think, but the text is very clear there. We see it in context, and I think the arguments would go down if we could get back to the text more, but so many Christians... It's just so emotional where I'm attacking someone. If I say, you know what, I don't quite agree with that. Let's sit down and kind of work through it. And and I think the culture that we've had in the last eight years in our country, the last 20 years, no one will just sit down and say, I totally disagree with you, but let's work through it as adults. And at the end of the day, let's just go uh, back to our business. And so I think that's those are a couple reasons why I think Christians just are after each other. The other reason is, I think it's Christians and non-Christians. People say they're Christians, but they're not. Jesus said, many are going to say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and they're not really Christians. So people just use it as a name. And if you want to say, I'll give it my own definition, it's a free country, you can do it. But the name Christianity is taken. And Jesus said, if you aren't born from above, born again, you'll never see the kingdom. There's only one kind of Christian that goes to heaven. And Jesus says, it's a born-again Christian versus this liberal, mainstream, mainline Christian. So those, I think, are two reasons why Christians seem to go against, air quotes, Christians. No, you're uh, you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, non-salvation issues, and, and you pointed out, out uh, not this specifically, but the rapture. You know, people, uh, Christians, will um, be so divisive against one another uh, based on their different beliefs on the pre-trib or post-tribulation rapture, where 
they will not be able to talk to each other anymore because of their disagreement. We can it's not like people are are able to agree to disagree anymore. It's uh people are so emotionally involved as you said that it it takes on a whole new persona into the person and it's almost a spirit of of religiousness that um is rearing its ugly head and you know keeping a closed mind on those people who refuse to keep an open mind uh to the correction from the holy spirit and uh we're seeing that you know tearing apart churches families and, and whole denominations today in uh the church um, we got about a minute and a half before the break. Just want to get your quick opinion on this, Mike. The ecumenical movement that the Pope is trying to put together, uh, the one world religion, do you see this as a, uh, a threat that is in the very near future? The Pope trying to, uh, create this interfaith movement to bring all religions together? Well, eventually we know that the interfaith movement will, you know, wreak havoc. Um, before the Lord comes back, I, I understand that, and it's been going on for the last, you know, fifty years with different conglomerations in one, you know, form or another. I don't know about this Pope. When he first came around, I thought, you know what, he's going to be the perfect entree into the end times because of his his demeanor. Uh, but I think uh, in theological circles and even now in social circles, he's been seen as someone that basically, instead of leading. Uh, he just follows the spirit of the age and whatever compromise that is and whatever is the latest thing to talk about with refugees or whatever. He just follows. He, he, I'm not a Roman Catholic and I, and I think it's an apostate system, but still I think he should be a leader for the Roman Catholics and he doesn't lead to me. He just follows the spirit of the age. So it, it easily could lead into that, but, but I don't think so. Not with this man because I don't think he's a leader. Very interesting. Folks, we're talking with Mike Abendroth of NoCompromiseRadio.com. Again, bookmark his website. He is a radio show host, an author, a blogger, and a pastor, uh, and, and biblical expert. NoCompromiseRadio.com. Sign up for their free newsletter. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about a, a number of things. Most importantly, Mike's new book, Evangelical White Lies which is now available on Amazon, and you can find a link directly to that from NoCompromiseRadio.com. We'll be right back after these short messages. Stay with us. I want to thank each and every one of you for for uh, your belief and your trust in us as we walk through this minefield of current events together. So many twists and turns and the of the headlines. We have to be extra super careful, and we have to watch at every turn. But you know, let me ask you: Are you looking for that perfect gift? I've had so many compliments. Uh, from the gifts I've given from OmahaSteaks.com and I've had so many compliments on the food I've cooked from OmahaSteaks.com if you're looking for that perfect gift let me tell you about Omaha Steaks and how for under $50 in fact only forty nine ninety nine. 
you can get my family gift pack when you go to omahasteaks.com and enter our code HH in the search bar. 77% off. Man, that's what a, what a great, <laughs> what a great buy. And, and you know, Omaha Steaks, great steak experiences at home, the most flavorful, tender HB feel ever taste in your life. They've got uh, seafood, they've got poultry, pork, veal, lamb, so on, veggies, desserts, appetizers. I mean, they got everything, folks. Right now, however, Omaha Steaks is giving exclusive savings just to our listeners. Listen to everything that you'll get for under $50. You get two filet mignons, and oh, are they great. Two top sirloins, two boneless chicken, or uh, two boneless pork chops, are, and, and they're fantastic. Wow. Four boneless chicken breasts, four kielbasa sausages, four burgers, 12-ounce package of all-beef meatballs, four potatoes au gratin, four caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha Steaks seasoning packet, plus four additional kielbasa sausages free. Folks, go to omahasteaks.com, enter our code HH in the search bar, and add the family gift pack to your cart and get a 77% savings. It is the gift guaranteed to be a hit. That's omahasteaks.com, HH in the search bar. Uh, folks, in this hour, we are speaking with pastor, author, and radio show host of No Compromised Radio, Mike Abendroth of NoCompromiseRadio.com. And if we could start out this segment with getting into your latest book uh, that was released on the 18th of July of this year, Evangelical White Lies. And um, just a, a quick caption says, In these last days of widespread deception, there is an urgent need for discernment to identify and reprove the subtle lies that compromise the infallible word of God. Mike presents a dozen of the most circulated white lies within the Christian church, along with a correct interpretation and a clarion call for repentance. Um, evangelical white lies, uh, uh, Pastor Mike, um, can we get into a few of these? Sure. Well, there's so many things that we just assume are true, but if we don't dig into the Scripture and uh, act like what the Bible calls Bereans, those that study the Scripture to see if they're they're true or not, then we can just fall prey to, to these these common white lies. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to pick a few of the very obvious ones and then maybe a few that aren't so obvious and just work through them. What's the white lie? Uh, what's the Bible say, and then how to think about it rightly. Uh, as you you men know, uh, God says, I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so it's uh, it's engaging the mind. Of course, there's more to, to living underneath uh, God's rule than just your mind. You know, you have a heart and emotions and things like that, but what's the mind do? And so your mind really matters. And... Uh, one writer said, you know, the evangelicals have lost their mind. So I just picked about 12 that I thought were interesting. I don't, I don't know why, but I'm such a product of pop culture. I'm 56 years old, and I was thinking about the Castaways band on Gilligan's Island singing Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire. So maybe that was the motivation to write the book. I remember that episode. I bet you do. <laughs> you know, something, I, shamefully, I, I then, you know... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gilligan. Okay. Oh, wow. Interesting. All right. We got something in common. Yeah. Okay. So, but these these white lies turn into traps, don't they? All of them. I mean, they're 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 entrapments for the Christian. 
Well, it's so true. I mean, I'll just give you, I'll give you one. I, I did chapter three, white line number three. Christians must must tithe, and a, a tithe is ten percent. People would just be, you know, basically told by the pastor using Malachi three out of context. You've got to give ten percent of your money. He'll probably tell you that's gross. By the way, off a of gross, or else you're going to receive curses from God, or you know, chastisement, or whatever. And and to work through. Well, here's what Israel was under, and it was more of a taxation, and it was probably closer to 25% than 10%. And what does the Bible say? And what does the Bible say now uh, that Jesus has instituted something that he said, look at, here, here's what I want you to do. I have come and given myself sacrificially to you uh, to die on the cross and be raised from the dead. Now the way you give is in light of what I've done. So I'm a sacrificial giver of my life, and now I want you to give sacrificially. But it hasn't, there's no number. I mean, if Christians have to have a number to give, the number I put in the book is 100, because the 100 hundred percent is what God wants from you. He wants you. And if he gets you, uh, then your money is just easy to give. So that was one of the lies is Christians must tithe. And again, pastors erroneously using Malachi 3 as a nine millimeter stuck to the proverbial head of the congregant. And uh, that would be one of those white lies. Uh, very interesting. Um, if we can uh, speak to the subtlety of the the devil, uh, and we alluded to this earlier in the hour, uh, you know, it seems like nothing that the how the devil implements his plan uh, to corrupt humanity is is very subtle, and I like to use the example of TV to explain this. You know, TV in the 1960s, you had um, if you had a married couple on a TV show. They showed their bedroom as having separate beds. Um, you know, there was obviously no cursing. It was uh, a lot more wholesome than it is today. And then, you know, you couldn't take the what was on TV in the 1990s and put it on in the 1960s. That would have just, uh, you know, been so overt, uh, and and the evil would have been recognized so rampantly that it would have been, you know, boycotted and protested, and nobody would have watched it. But because you know, evil can be so subtle and patient. Um, over time, the devil is able to change, if we're not rooted in, in Jesus Christ and his word, change the perception of the Christ, Christian. Can you speak to this subtlety and how to combat this in your experience? <clears throat> sure. And just the other day I was thinking, you know, I think I'd like to pull up some old Perry Masons to see uh, what was going on. Uh, in the mind of Perry Mason, because I don't think I watched many of those when I was younger. I watched other shows instead. But, you know, it might almost be the opposite. If I think about life and, you know, Leave It to Beaver and some of these older shows, and they didn't even have, you know, married couples sleeping in the same bed, let alone other people, uh, there was a very moral um, scene painted by these TV shows. And it probably reflected the external culture that was going on at the time. But now it's just chaos. I mean, right is wrong and up is down, and it's just it's just chaotic. Nobody talks about sin anymore. It's diseases and syndromes and, and hang-ups and microaggressions. It's almost easier now, I think, guys, that it's so obviously wrong. It's easier for me, at least, to address sin as sin, because one of the most damning sins 
is the sin of self-righteousness, is the sin of, of self-morality. And so if you're living behind the white picket, leave it to beaver fence, and, and mom and dad are married, and, and everybody seems to be doing pretty well, and off to college, and go to the military, and serve, and you're a good neighbor, you, you help the neighbors rake their leaves, and shovel five foot of snow here in Boston, you're just a good person. And that's the kind of damning thing that's going on in Romans chapter 1, where, where we say, you know what, we're good, everybody else is bad, when, of course, and getting back to the satanic deception, the first thing that Satan did is what? What did he lie about when he said, has God really said the very first lie out of Satan's mouth, first thing out of his mouth, mouth was, you know what, there's not really going to be a judgment, no judgment. And so, of course, you've got people that say there's no hell today and there's annihilationism and purgatory, etc. But there's judgment for self-righteous people, too. And so you've got to look at yourself. I've got to look at myself like the tax collector in Luke 18 that says, I can't compare myself to anyone else. I, before God, am a sinner. I will stand before God naked and exposed. He knows what I've done, what I haven't done. And what God has required is perfection perfectly keeping the law. And so if, if I'm under that, then I have to turn to Jesus who perfectly kept the law. But if I think I'm pretty good, uh, you know, I remember when I used to go door to door and evangelizing in Los Angeles and two antithetical knocks. One was on a grandma's house and I said, I'm here with Grace Church. I want to tell you about Jesus Christ and a concert we're going to have uh, to talk about who God is. She slammed the door in my face and said, I'm a Catholic. Then the next house I went to, a big kind of ZZ Top bearded guy opened up the door and said, oh, you know what, I'd like to hear about this. You want a beer? And invited me in. And so people that have no righteousness, they're better off, actually, humanly speaking, than those who think they have some righteousness or religion or anything else that might feed it, because self-righteousness and religion serves as an inoculation against needing the Savior. And so maybe we're better off today versus the Leave it to Beaver days, because back then everybody thought they were good. No, you're absolutely right. And, you know, the self-righteousness um, is such a, a stumbling block uh for growth in your walk with Jesus and, and for growth in learning in the scriptures. If you think you're good and you think that you're right, and that's based on your own uh, perception of what's right and wrong, and, you know, you're judging other people, uh, well, you're don't, really... Don't we have to humble ourselves? I mean, well, isn't, that, isn't that the way it, it's it's meant to be? Absolutely. And you can be confident in the scriptures and still be a very humble person. Uh, versus knowing some scriptures and being completely self-righteous. And what, what I think Pastor Mike's saying here is that it's better to be broken than to be, you know, built up on, on a, on a false pride ego trip. Well, I, I, I definitely agree, and I think about the humility of the Lord Jesus. I mean, can you imagine the creator of the universe, and he walks in and starts wiping the, the, the feet of the disciples in the Middle East with all the dust and, and stuff that those men would walk through? Um, no wonder Peter never forgot that. And in First Peter chapter 5, he says, the Greek essentially says, put on the apron of a slave when it comes to serving other people. And, and I, I would imagine, although I can't prove it, but he was thinking about the Lord Jesus wiping his feet that day. And he is saying, this is how we need to serve other people. And, you know, some of the bombastic kind of responses with certain uh, prominent uh, political evangelicals in the news, that probably doesn't help us. Uh, 
Um, but I think maybe we could go too far and say, you know, uh, we're we're so humble we don't really know, or we're so humble, you know, we ought not tell people the truth. And there's this kind of humility hermeneutic where, oh, we don't really know. How could we know the truth? That's happened a lot with the emergent church in the last 10 years or so. But you know what? We recognize everything we have, even the right interpretation of the Scripture, is something that's given to us by God. And now we're to tell people the good news. I mean, where is the good news today? Uh, it was in the 80s. I lived in L.A., and I rode my bicycle over to Fountain Valley and uh, listened to Ronald Reagan speak. And uh, Reagan did a lot of good things as he was a president, but of course he isn't the savior. Uh, but that was good news for a lot of people. Ronald Reagan is elected. World War II is over. And you have a child. It's a boy. It's a girl. And you're just excited for that good news. In a world of bad news, uh, it's good to be able to tell people, you know what? I have even better news than you could imagine. Here's the way to be reconciled to Almighty God who made you, to have peace with God. I have great news. And and so I like to use these shows that you men have and uh, my radio show and the pulpit anytime I can to be able to tell people some good news because, man, this is a lot of bad news in this world. Exactly. To tell people, uh, take this opportunity, please, to tell people about your show. We can always use that B12, a spiritual B12 shot in the arm. Uh, so, so why don't you tell people about your show? Sure, thank you for that. It's found at NoCompromiseRadio.com, and you can get it on iTunes and TuneIn Radio and all the different ways. And Twitter is at NoCo Radio, uh, Facebook, No Compromise Radio. We have a YouTube channel as well with just about 100 videos, short little clips, uh, No Compromise uh, uh, YouTube channel. But the radio show is simple. I, I have the tagline, always biblical, always provocative always in that order. What does the Bible say, but trying to get you to think through these issues? And to me, the Bible is one of the most fascinating uh, things that you could ever do is to read it. It's exciting. I remember talking to a kid in uh, Boston at, at a jacuzzi, and he was about 12, and he didn't like it when I got in the jacuzzi. And, and I said, well, uh, you know, what, what do you, what's going on? He said, my dad's a policeman over in uh, this particular city. And I said, what city is that? And he told me, and then I said, you know what? I happen to be the mayor of that city. And he said, oh, really? And I said, no, I'm not really the mayor, but I am a Bible teacher. He goes, the Bible is boring. I said, what do you mean the Bible's boring? And uh, I said, you mean that time when Jael said to Sisera, why don't you come over into the tent and, and uh, lay down your, your head and uh, have a little uh, milk and curds and let me tuck you in? And then she took the tent peg hammer and drove it through Sisera, the bad general's temple, into the ground. You mean that boring thing? And he goes, uh, I didn't really read that. Well, my point is, uh, No Compromise Radio just wants to talk about evangelical current events of the Bible in a way that makes you think, wow, I should listen to that because this is the most fascinating thing in the world. How can God be boring? It's a sin to make the Bible boring. God isn't boring. I, I tell you, believer or unbeliever, when you stand before a thrice holy God on Judgment Day, you'll think of many things, but you'll never think boring. Yeah, indeed. You know, I mean, it's a great physics book. It's a great history book. It's a great book of, uh, of, uh, answers to, to life's questions. I mean, it tells you so much. And I, you know what? I used to think, and I used to think that the, the Bible was actually boring indeed until I started to really understand what it was all about. And I, I broke it open, read it, began reading it. And then, yes, 
it uh it's anything but boring that's for that's for sure oh my goodness um what do you think uh i just want to draw back to uh current events here we're facing a lot of uh, civil unrest and of course uh coach dave dobmeyer we have on uh talks about uh um civil rights versus moral wrongs and, and that uh, greg jackson does as well we're seeing a lot of moral wrongs being uh uh, being masked as civil rights, uh, you know, how how in the world are we going to combat as Christians the moral wrongs that are being cloaked as civil rights? What's the best way to do that? Well, I think it starts back with with some Bible basics, and the minute people begin to talk about race, white and black and yellow and brown and different kind of colors. They then abandon the Bible, because the Bible is very clear. There are two key people in the Bible, the first Adam, Adam, and the last Adam, Jesus. And everybody is either in Adam the first or in Adam the last, Christ Jesus. You're either a believer or you're not. And there's one race. There's a human race. I remember Daryl Gates back in Los Angeles with the riots, and he said the problem with the LAPD is we hire people from the wrong race. And what he meant by that inflammatory statement was, we hire people from the human race, and the human race has fallen. And so I think pastors do a disservice to people when they begin to talk about all kinds of race issues. When Jesus happens to be a Jew, and he is called in First Timothy chapter 2, the mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He's a human. And so I think so many of these kind of... Uh, issues that float around are exacerbated by a wrong view of the Bible and this whole white-black thing. Jesus comes to save Jews and Gentiles. And the last time I looked, both white people and black people and brown people are all Gentiles, uh, with few exceptions. And so the first thing I need to do is I say to myself, I have to think about people like God thinks about people. And God doesn't say white, black, or anything else. Jesus has come to redeem Matthew, uh, Revelation 5, people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And that's what gives him glory. So I just have to think rightly about people. And if we would just go back to the Bible, here we are again. Uh, that could have been an evangelical white lie. Here's a white lie, is to think about people white in categories like white and black. That would be a lie, because there's one race in the Bible. It's the human race, and Jesus, the human, redeems humans. All right. Simple. I mean, it's a very simple concept, easy to understand, uh, the application of which might be uh, not only difficult for some, but even objectionable to some, which is a sad commentary on things the way they are, but uh, indeed. All right. We have uh, a few minutes left, yeah. about eight minutes left before our time with you is up, uh, Pastor Mike. Uh, I want to kind of give you some leeway into where you want to talk about, but yeah. a quick question. The uh, criminalization of Christianity, how long until you think we see this country completely criminalize the Bible? Well, I think we've got a little respite and, and uh, a reprieve here in, uh, because of this last election. 
uh, things are going pretty fast in the last eight years, and <clears throat> people give a lot of lip service about Christianity in congregations, but then all of a sudden you can't say things from the pulpit uh, that are sinful or forgivable sins or anything like that. So I think I'm, a, I'm 56, and so I'm torn because I say to myself, you know what, I'm going to make it. I'm not going to have to go to jail for standing up and saying anything from the Bible, Sodom and Gomorrah, whatever it might be. Uh, but then I think about my kids in the next generation. So we are going to end up like Europe sooner or later. You're going to have these little pockets of little home churches here or there. Uh, the large mega churches uh, will probably be gone because a lot of the mega churches will undergo persecution. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're a Joel Osteen kind of Christian, well, you don't want to undergo persecution because that goes against their philosophy. And so those things will close fast. Uh, it'll it'll go in steps, I think. First step will be you're going to lose your tax-exempt status as a church. Second step is going to be congregants are going to lose their uh, tax exemption status. Uh, then the third step will be fines. The fourth step will be potential uh, jailing. You know, um, we're going to jail you if you don't do such and such. Then there'll actually be people put into jail for teaching what the Bible says. And the good news is uh, persecution always cleanses the church. Right now, a lot of people say they're Christians, uh, but give them a little heat, uh, metaphorical heat, and they're going to say, I'm not. And so that's a good way that the Lord uses it. I think... I think with the new administration now, and I could be wrong, I mean, my guess is Donald Trump is uh, more liberal than what a lot of people hope that he's going to be. But I think we're going to get a little reprieve, so I think we're going to be fine for the next 10 years or so. Interesting. And that's always subject to change. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> yeah, I, th- I think, uh, well, t- time will tell. Indeed. All right. Well, we've in the closing five minutes here, Pastor Mike. uh, We'd like you to promote any of your books um, that you want to uh, tell the listeners about. Any upcoming speaking engagements, uh, important shows that you have done in the past or going to do in the future. Anything that you uh, want our audience to uh, check out. Sure. Well, thank you for that opportunity. Uh, just off the top of my head, I'll be leading a group of people, uh, and anyone's invited. You can find the the link on the radio sh- uh, show's website. But take a group of people over to Wittenberg, Zurich, and Geneva for Reformation 500. Uh, 2017 will celebrate Luther's 500th anniversary of uh, nailing the 95 Thesis to the Wittenberg door there. And so if anybody wants to go with us to tour the Reformation sites and get some Bible teaching uh, along the way, uh, you can sign up uh, through the, the link there on No Compromise Radio. That's one. Uh, Evangelical White Lies is also out on uh, Kindle. Uh, I also wrote another book last year. It was called Sexual Fidelity, and it's 30 short chapters, what to think about uh, sex and what does the Bible say about it, not just you know sexual sins, but how to work through what's it say about sex in marriage. It's certainly not a how-to book, but what does the Bible say about that subject, homosexuality, pornography, husbands and wives together, the joy of sex, etc. That's sexual fidelity that can be ordered at the website as well. I wrote a commentary on Romans uh, that people can order. It's a Zondervan book, Discovering Romans. So there's a variety of things. Uh, the radio show, NoCompromiseRadio.com. Mondays, it's a sermon of mine. Tuesday, I talk with my co-host, Steve Cooley, about regular issues in the church. Wednesday, I interview authors and the- 
surgeons and people uh, in, in, in the uh, academic world. Thursday, I talk about just a, a nice, solid doctrine. What's the Bible say about confession? And then on Friday on No Compromise Radio, I call it Woodshed Friday. I usually take some uh, particular doctrine to the woodshed or people that promote it, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses or something like that. Why are they wrong and why is the Bible uh, condemned such behavior? So that's kind of an overview. And then it's bbcchurch.org. If you're in central Massachusetts, there are Christians in Massachusetts, and we would love to have you at bbcchurch.org in central Mass. Perfect. Beautiful. I, I like that Woodshed Friday, though. <clears throat> yeah, I bet it's, you do. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. the highest rated. <laughs> I got. I got to tell you something about our generation, right? It, it's the, the Woodshed uh, generation, as opposed to the Snowflake generation. But that's that's all right. I know. Well, as my father would say, that'll put hair on your chest too. There you go. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we want to thank you, Pastor Mike. Folks, that was Pastor Mike Abendroth. Again, his Great website guy. is nocompromiseradio.com, nocompromiseradio.com. I like you that. can go to the website and get the uh, shows as well as the podcast you can download to iTunes. He's an author, um, and his latest book, Evangelical White Lies, is available off his website on Amazon. He's also uh, the author of... Uh, uh, several other books and is a pastor of a church since 1997 um that he's he, got a lot of i mean his his resume is huge so. yeah and they, he's got great content on his website from the uh you can be part of his mailing list for free you can uh check out their blog as well as the audio content and uh send him an email and let him know you heard him on the hagman and hagman report and uh, let them know what you think, and check out his books. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Don't it's great having woodshed. you on, and hope to be able to talk to you again in the near future. All right. Well, you know what, guys? Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And next time we'll have to do the two-hour segment. Thank you so yes, much. Uh, appreciate you guys. Thank you. It's a good introduction to your uh, to your fine teaching, folks. We appreciate I, you too. Be right Thank back. You. Uh, just want to just tell everyone to hang with us. We're gonna be right back. You're listening to Hagman and Hagman. Standale, yeah, Standale's coming. Right. Okay. And uh, follow us on our social networking, uh, Facebook and Twitter. And subscribe at, to YouTube. That's right. Thanks. Oh, my goodness. Real Tech Eric is just cracking us up here. Welcome, folks, to the Hagman and the Hagman Report. Yeah, we, we do have a, we do, sometimes we have, um, interesting conversations off air. Um, I'm glad they're off air. My goodness, uh, folks, uh, it's coming up, Stan Dale. And, you know, uh, Joe and I were talking too when we weren't, uh, when Eric wasn't making us laugh. Um, <laughs> when Stan was on last, last week, we were talking, we, we did not know who the, the president-elect would be when Stan was on. So 168 hours ago, exactly, 
Yeah, we were, we were just going through we're, election results. We were going preliminary <laughs> information as to we were what, clueless like everyone else, right? Yeah. And before we get to Stan, I want to tell you about Texas Ready, folks. If you have not heard about this, go to TexasReady.net. TexasReady.net. Texas Ready seed banks are ranked the highest in the world, and for good reason. First of all, they contain regionally appropriate open and pollinated heirloom seeds, and in most seed banks they don't take into account geographic different differences, different locations, but TexasReady.net does. Texas Ready uses certified seeds. Most seed bank companies don't. TexasReady.net. Check. You know, Texas Ready, they think their customers are worth it. We do as well. Through our listener protection program, we put our sponsors through a rigorous process. Just ask our sponsors. A rigorous process. And, uh, yes, we don't, we do not endorse or we don't talk about any, anyone that, uh, that, that, Certainly, we don't believe in or use ourselves. And if you don't know how to garden, Texas already has several excellent reference books that help you grow. Plenty of nutrient-dense food. You can buy a seed bank, or you do buy a seed bank, based on how many people you're going to be providing food for. Other companies don't do this. So you get uh, so when you misappropriate or, or, or make a mistake, then you all starve equally at the same incremental, slow pace. And, and you know, Texas Ready... So 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 knowledgeable. I would urge everyone go to TexasReady.net. That's TexasReady.net. TexasReady.net because each of their seed banks contain eighty plus varieties of vegetables and fruits, including eight dual purpose herbs for culinary and medicinal purposes. The larger banks come with training manuals which teach you to garden properly. Check out their website at TexasReady.net. TexasReady.net and make sure you tell them the Hagman and Hagman report sent you. Ladies and gentlemen, in this hour, uh, as we have each and every Tuesday in hour number three, Stan Deo will be our guest, and we're going to talk about a number of important things. Folks, go to standeo.com, oh, yeah. and on the right-hand side of his page underneath the YouTube icon, to the right of the microphone icon, is a show images button. Click on that button, and it'll pull up um, images and links with the images, that detail some of the content Stan talks about on our show, and you can also visually follow along with the images he has placed on his website. Um, I know we're going to get into a number of issues, one being the New Zealand earthquake, as aftershocks are still being, uh, aftershocks are still coming in the country of New Zealand after a massive 7.8 earthquake uh, hit there just a few days ago. And uh, we are still seeing aftershocks in through today. Stan, are you with us? I am indeed. I'm just sitting here real quiet, like. <laughs> well, uh, a lot's happened since the last time you were on one week ago today. Um, we can actually say or ask, "Did the Earth move for you?" <laughs> no, I'm, I'm afraid to go there. <laughs> 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 well, yes, yes. There are so many subtitles to that. <laughs> That's right. But, but, uh, but, but. Well, okay. Let me ask you: Did the Earth move for you? Did it move for any of us? It moved for New Zealand. Let me tell you what. That um, if it weren't for the political news, that would be my lead story tonight because uh, there are just a number of things about that whole uh, earthquake business down there that should send alarm bells to anyone living down there in New Zealand uh, or having relatives down there after they read that 2000 and I think it was 2009 dream vision I had, or maybe it was before that actually, 1997, 1997 uh, about New Zealand and a huge eruption down there, uh, not a volcano.
volcano, or, sorry, not a, an earthquake, but a volcanic eruption. And anyway, uh, look, I, I'll get to that in a second about this New Zealand stuff. But um, certainly in that part of the world, a, a number of rules, regulations, and agreements, uh, and agreements not to let, uh, say, American nuclear ships uh, dock there have gone by the wayside. And the uh, New Zealand government said, hey, look, we'll take any help we can get whether you've got nuclear bombs on your ship or not. Come help us because we're in dire straits. And Holly pointed out that the uh, the Christchurch, uh, sorry, you know, the, the the other earthquake they had back, uh, what was that, Wellington, was it? That they had like 45 billion. Say again? 2011. I was reading it on your website. Um, the damage from the Christchurch uh, earthquake in 2011 um, that there were people that still have not recovered from that devastating earthquake, uh, the $45 billion um, yeah. damaging yeah. earthquake that, that got hammered again in this uh, 7.8 earthquake that has just hit. Well, they're saying it's not going to be anywhere near the damage report that, you know, or, uh, the budget that they had after that uh, 2011 earthquake, but I'm beginning to wonder because, um, you know, um, uh, I've got pictures. Holly's put up a number of them. I've got some on the show images page of the the earthquake damage uh, in New Zealand, and like they've got railway lines uh, and tunnels between various parts of the island that were necessary, you know, for commerce and for uh, you know traveling to and fro as tourists. Those have been covered up. I mean, they've been buried in landslides and tons of rock. It's going to take them a while to move that stuff out of the way and repair the lines. Um, and, you know, uh, one of the uh, images that I've got on the show images page is a compilation of three that were you can read on our main website. But uh, image number nine, read details on our news page today for these images. But if you click on the picture itself, it'll show you three images that I find really interesting. Uh, you'll look at them and you'll see all three of them, you know, one over the, the top of each other. There's three, one, two, three, like that. And what you see is the... Uh, Rugby football club down at the bottom image. They're standing there with their backpacks and and suitcases and stuff, waiting for the arrival uh, of helicopters to get them out of there because there's no way for them to get to the nearest town or anything or to get food. They're just stranded. So you know because they're blocked in by these landslides and stuff. Well, the image above that shows the New Zealand Air Force helicopter landing to help, and uh, the top picture shows you a close-up of them loading supplies on the uh, Air Force copter to take over there before they pick up passengers to leave supplies for those that are going to stay and watch over things there in that little town. Now, when I saw the bottom picture there, of these people standing around with their knapsacks and bags and stuff, and uh, and I put it together with the top picture, New Zealand Air Force wearing the the camo, uh, you know, fatigues and stuff like that, you know, military, and I saw the red backpack at the bottom down there. Suddenly, it triggered in my mind that dream vision I had in '97, '96, '97, whatever it was back then, uh, about the eruption. Uh, of, of Lake Taupo, um, the uh, dream vision, I was in the air over Lake Taupo in the North Island, looking down on the outline map of Lake Taupo, which is really a super caldera the size of, of uh, Yellowstone, right? It's, it's huge. And the eruption of it is not going to just affect local area down there around New Zealand. It's going to affect the entire planet. The last time it happened around 200 and something A.D., the 
Chinese astronomers reported three days of total darkness on the planet from the ash it threw up. Now, you know, it's going to throw that much acid, it'll impact uh, air traffic and all kinds of things. Now, if you look at image seven on my show images page, you'll see what looks like, okay, it's um, uh, a um, color map that I got off of the GNS, uh, which is the equivalent of USGS down there in uh, New Zealand. And I got their map as of about five o'clock this afternoon showing the main earthquake, that 7.8, and the significant aftershocks. These are the ones that are above 2.5, right? <laughs> and there have been, at, at that time, 2,300 uh, aftershocks to the main event that we saw on Saturday. Now, if you look at the pattern of these and where they occurred, first they occurred down there in the South Island, in the Northeast End there. Then they move up into the middle of North Island onto or underneath Lake Taupo. Now, when I put mm -hmm. that together in my mind, what triggered that, that vision in my mind, I did see in my vision in that hole that uh, is Lake Taupo, I saw it sinking as and hot water rising up as it was about to explode, you know, to erupt. And I saw people in train stations and stuff trying to go somewhere wearing... Uh, some of them wearing uh, fatigue, some of them wearing uh, colorful red ski parkers or whatever, like red clothes anyway, and their bags were colorful like that as well. And I'm wondering, guys, I'm wondering if we're getting close to the moment when the Lake Taupo caldera is going to erupt. And when it does, if it throws like a volcanic uh, head, say like Rupeu volcano that is on the edge of it, if it throws that up into the air and down into Lake Taupo's hole, the, the caldera and the, and the lake, or if it throws it high enough in the air, it goes off into the shoreline, off into the uh, um, Pacific Ocean, that area, either one of those or all three, what it could do is fulfill the prophecy about a burning mountain being cast into the sea in the book of Revelation, because the natives still call Lake Taupo the Sea of Taupo as though it used to be joined to the sea or the inland sea or whatever. So I'm saying to people, click uh, on image 10A and 10B. You'll get both of my prophetic, uh, my prophetic dream and then the follow-up showing the, um, the Maoris uh, uh, notifying us of the clues before it erupts, which they think it will do too, things that will happen uh, in China for instance, a, a, a lumber scandal, something to do with the uh, uh, Three Gorges Dam. And if we see these things that I've listed in that, which I was given by the Maori Kahuna woman, if we see those things, we know that almost immediately after that, Lake Taupo is going to erupt. So anyway, for the people who live in New Zealand and, and people who have relatives and friends down there, please share this with them for their own safety and uh, help them to to kind of get prepared for things that may happen uh, in their neck of the woods. So with the uh, all these aftershocks we've seen in New Zealand, we know that there was a, a supermoon that uh, happened at its peak was yesterday, and that, you know, this is a, a rare event that comes, you know, only once every so many years. I believe the last time was 1948. The next time will be 2034. Do we know, uh, and I know we've talked about this a number of times in the past, the effects of the supermoon on the fault lines, uh, A and B, um, would you expect uh, there to be another major earthquake in New Zealand 
like this was a precursor, or do you think we saw the the main event with this uh, cycle with the number of aftershocks? Well, now that's an interesting question. If you look at image eight, uh, right next to the, the, the graph that I've shown of the earthquakes where they occurred and, and what size they were, you'll see that the plot of these earthquakes of magnitude day by day from Saturday till now, you'll see that the top left-hand portion of it is a 7.8, and they get less and less, and then you'll see that there's one that spikes up to about a, uh, if you click on the picture, you'll see it peaks up at about a 6.2 um, later in the day on Saturday on the 13th. But then it kind of calms down the aftershocks are around 5, 2-ish, and 5, and that, that type, all the way to the beginning of the 14th, which was um, uh, yesterday. Uh, and, and their time. And you see a 6.5 has occurred there. And then there's a little pause, a, a couple of hours go by, and you get a 5.8. But you see, in general, the trend is that the aftershocks are diminishing, except for the fact that the one that occurred a few hours later on the 13th, Saturday, was a 6.2, whereas the one that occurred at the beginning of yesterday was a 6.5. It went up again. And then it kind of you know, petered off again down to five eight within a few hours. So what I'm saying is, is that there may be a sign here that we're seeing um, uh, precursor quakes that that may see the arrival of a bigger one in the next week or so. Um, it's very rare for that to happen. That something as big as a seven point eight is treated as a precursor, smaller than the one that comes after that. But knowing the situation of New Zealand, the stresses that are tearing the, the islands apart there, the North and South Island, it's no secret, but these stresses are huge and they're twisting moments. Um, if Lake Taupo is getting ready to go, we're going to see a big earthquake that will release the the water table or the water lake actually sitting on top of the lid of the caldera there once that weight is gone it's pretty much a guaranteed event that it will erupt because the lid is being held down by the weight of the water right now and that i got from talking personally to the gns uh, geologists down there who were monitoring you know lake taupo um they say it's it's bad <laughs> if the water lid uh, disappears suddenly the 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 uh, the lid is going to probably blow off, and we'll have that terrible event I was shown in that dream vision and the one that the, the Maori uh, kahuna said is going to happen uh, fairly soon. You know, in their terms, soon might be 10 years, but she to tell us the, the signals to watch for. Anyway, it's, um, yeah, it, it could be it could be that a bigger one's coming in answer to your question, Joe. I, I tend to wander off down rabbit holes, but that's the, the long oh, answer. Yeah. Do you find it kind of interesting that Kerry was around there? I mean, I, I don't know. Then the South Pole, uh, but but Kerry's well, visit. I mean, it it was just... interesting, and I, you know, I don't suspect that we would have enough power or technology to cause an earthquake like that. But it was interesting. Kerry goes down to the South Pole for why I have no idea. I mean, that's. A very rare, he's the highest ranking U.S. official to ever go down there. And so he goes down there, 
Then he flies up uh, toward New Zealand for a meeting with their prime minister, and surprise, surprise, we have this huge earthquake, and it brings to memory in 1986 that the New Zealand government said, look, we don't want you to land any of your ships here, America, on our coast anymore because you, you know, this is a nuclear-free zone, and we don't want you to bring your stuff here and potentially contaminate our area. And then all of a sudden, we have this earthquake and a visit by Kerry at the same time. Um, who knows what they're talking about in the back room, but it, it is a strange coincidence. Yeah, I just I just kind of thought it was interesting timing-wise. And again, it could be absolutely just nothing whatsoever, but interesting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at those pictures. I mean, I've only got uh, three of them up there at the moment. Uh, well, actually, not even three at all. Um, the little show images page uh, icon shows three images that aren't the same ones that, um, uh, when you click on the button, they're not the same ones that I have in my three images portfolio there. But it does, those three are available over on our main website where it says read details on our uh, image, uh, our, our news page. Uh, sorry, I'm just excited. I, I'm stumbling all over words at the moment, but um, there's just a lot of stuff happening, and this deal down in New Zealand is uh, definitely uh, high, you know, the highest thing on my news uh, radar at the moment um, because uh, of the various damages it did. did. Did you see that one where they had two or three cows standing up on top of a plot of grass and the yeah, earthquake yeah. caused everything to fall away from them? They were just stranded there? Yes, yeah. and they were wondering how will these cows be rescued. Uh, uh, it looked like it looked like the earth caved in around, you know, all around them, and there was just this one piece of land that was left standing, and there was enough room for the three cows uh, who were left there uh, to stand there. And I wonder how many cows around them actually uh, uh, ended up dying, you know, or standing around well, those. I didn't see any carcass or hints of, you know, lake sticking out or whatever anywhere around it, but I gave some thought to that, wondering how it was that it fell out from underneath and left just them, and it suddenly dawned on me. When you have a massive earthquake like that, especially in sandy soil, which that is, um, it liquefies the ground, like the, the ground becomes like liquid, uh, you know, uh, it forces water out of solution and, and, and out of uh, various things that hold it uh, in like a crystalline state. It causes those things to liquefy so that it's like liquid and it falls away. If you have two, what, maybe 1,200 to 1,500 pound steers or cows sitting up on the top of that, their weight is going to push down on the structure underneath them. And that liquefaction, if it's uh, you know, a minor liquefaction, which this was, that their weight will compress all the sand and, and uh, water molecules that are trapped in it underneath it so that they won't liquefy and, and fall away. So by standing where they did over that, they preserved themselves, uh, creating the, the physics situation where they didn't, the ground didn't liquefy and fall away. That's my thought on it anyway, um, because having played with a, a quicksand and artificial quicksand and various things like that, when you press on it with you know, pressure or gravity in this case, weight, it will prevent the, uh, the quicksand effect to occur underneath where that pressure is distributed. So anyway, that was an interesting thing there. <clears throat> and I saw a, a, a couple of other photos that, that Holly had up on the webpage uh, where the train track in various places along the, the side of the island there, train track was lifted up 
you know, like hundreds of feet and thrown clear off of where the, uh, the, the the train ties, track ties are, lifted up and thrown away and, and just kind of twisted and curled off to the side somewhere. I mean, that's that's interesting stuff. I mean, that's mighty. Yeah, and, and, indeed. Wow. What about the um, lights that were recorded? Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the flashes, the blue and green flashes of lights that appeared to be look like lightning only they were uh happening as the earthquake was taking place well you know uh, in various countries over the the ages uh, that people have reported before a massive earthquake they've seen um balls of light and and sheet lightning like this but but with no origin no clouds pop up out of the ground and the conventional wisdom in the scientific community is this when you have um, structures that are under pressure and about to erupt uh, and the stress is getting really uh, high the ones that have this the formations that have silicon dioxide or sand in other words quartz when they are pressed they will release uh, electricity within themselves and in, in, in their formation. And that electricity can be so strong that it will erupt through the, the, the uh, overburden of the dirt above them and ionize the air. Now, what interested me was that normally when you ionize air, you get a green color. But these definitely look blue, and it might be due to the, the camera effect or something. Uh, I would expect more of a blue-green, a greeny-blue type color as it ionized the nitrogen. But that does occur, and we're pretty pretty confident in the scientific community that the reason we see that is extreme stresses on quartz-bearing formations along the fault line. Does that kind of answer the question? Mm, yeah, yeah, it does. Hmm. Yeah, interesting artifact or interesting. Okay, yeah, it does. Well, look, you can you can take mm, sugar crystals, you can take quartz crystals in a dark room and hit them with a hammer, and you'll get you know flashes of light from it. It releases electrons. Now I do remember that from what was the chemistry class, I guess, or a long time ago. But anyway, okay. Hmm. Well, we got a uh, just a few two minutes before the break here, Stan. Um, maybe we can touch on the Sweden uh, banning Christmas lights, fearing Muslim anger. And then in the next segment after the break, if we can get into the uh, political, geopolitical news that uh, has occurred since the last time you were on uh, with President-elect Trump, uh, now the uh, soon-to-be president. But uh, Sweden banning Christmas lights, fearing Muslim anger. This is an interesting story you have on number 12 on your show images page. And shows the level just? of pandering to Muslims that these countries are uh, engaged in. Uh, I'd put them out just on principle. Seriously, it, uh, I would put them out just on principle, Stan, because that's just the way I am. You would do what now? Uh, I would, <clears throat> I would put Christmas lights out just on principle. Um, that's because that's just the way I am. I mean, yeah, Sweden's calling it a security issue. Uh, arguing that utility poles me. are not built to sustain their weight, and then they go on to talk about uh, growing fears, uh, the growing Muslim population of immigrants, and uh, its attempt to ap- appease those immigrants. And uh, Swedes are being asked to believe that lights normally held up by tree branches are now too weighty to be supported by the metal poles. Yeah, but now, Amazing. okay, I'm still trying to understand what you said, Doug, about 
on principle, you you would you would turn the well, he aside. would put them up. Yeah, I would buy. I, I, I the heck with uh, you know offending anyone, particular group. I would just go ahead and say you know city, town, whatever it might be. I'd put them up anyway. Oh, ban I thought no you said ban. put them out. I put them up. Oh yeah, yeah. No. Okay, right. Because We're there. I, We're there. I, I don't. I, yeah, I don't take ki- kindly to to uh, political pressure or to, to this kind of pressure that uh, is really just ignorant uh, as far as I'm concerned. You can see where this is heading, guys. We're headed yep. for real civil trouble all across the Western world. Yes, we are. And, you know, the uh, one thing that's fascinating, back to the election, is, you know, people are making a big deal about Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, allegedly winning the popular vote when we know over two plus million uh, illegal immigrants voted in this election uh, two to three million which if that's the case the popular vote was won by donald trump um and i believe it was won by donald trump regardless because of ballot stuffing and voter fraud and i think i think it came on where he did in the final analysis win but that regardless yeah, and, uh, you know, from the president urging the illegal immigrants to vote, there's going to be a, a push, you know, to make sure that they're, they're going to fight tooth and nail to make sure Trump does not get the immigration and border policies that he wants to be uh, have implemented. The LAPD has already stated that they're not going to follow along with Trump's anti-immigration plans, while on the other side you have Border Patrol and ICE, uh, seeming to already follow along with Trump's immigration plan, uh, detaining the uh, people who are crossing illegally rather than giving them a pass as they have done under the Obama administration. And it's going to be interesting to see what uh, Obama and the liberal left media, as well as their political party, uh, tries to do to stop Trump. Uh, from doing what he says he's going to do, which is, you know, deport up to two million illegal immigrants with criminal records, uh, who have had multiple offenses here in the U.S. Folks, we're talking with Stan Deo. We have another 30 minute segment left with him just after this break, so don't go anywhere on this Tuesday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Standale.com. That's his website, Standale.com. Don't forget Prophetic Perils by Holly Dale, Dare to Prepare, uh, Prudent Places, of course, as well. And, of course, Stan's book uh, as well. Uh, Standale.com. Bookmark that site. Watch the headlines, the news, much news. Before we get back to Stan, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com, folks. The Minuteman Rocket Stove, it's the perfect survival cooking instrument stove for you and your family. Many reasons I can get into. It burns just a. It just takes a little bit of of wood to to really fire up, and uh, you'll always be able to find enough fuel for the Minuteman. Even if you live in the city or suburbs, it takes really. It uses less than a tenth of that needed for an open fire. It's insulated fully with re, uh, refractory insulation. It's a it's a fifty caliber ammo can designed. Uh, specifically for a rocket stove. It's got a great little burner assembly. It's got um, 
it's self-contained, seals airtight for travel, for storage. It's one of the best. Well, it is the best rocket stove out there on the market, bar none. I can guarantee you we've put it through the paces. We've used it. It's durable, rugged, seals airtight. No smells or soot will get inside your vehicle your or, or wherever you might be storing it. Miniman stoves are made in America. They're all. They're also serving with uh, uh, our troops overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan. They're handmade, battle-proven, and extremely rugged. Just ask me. And Miniman stoves come with a two-year no-hassle warranty. To date, no one has taken up on their offer. And, of course, they have excellent, excellent fire starters. Go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. And for Hagman and Hagman listeners, just mention that you're a Hagman and Hagman listeners. Um, they need to know that. So, MinutemanStove.com. Stan, thanks for uh, holding over. And uh, So, yeah, where do we go from here? Well, one thing I was thinking about during the break, I mentioned about Soros being unhappy, you know, about the the Hillary uh, defeat and that kind of stuff. And I got to thinking, no, that's not right. Because Soros typically wins in a country he's trying to overthrow, whether whether party A wins or party B wins, or faction A or faction B. Because he thrives on discord and revolution within the countries he wants to uh, take over. So whether Hillary won or not, it simply means in this case, since she didn't, that we're still going to have uh, discord, we're still going to have uh, possibly revolution you know, against the, the, res- the result of the election. Um, and Soros will win if that's the case. He will have, have made discord, throw the country into chaos, and unless, and he may be accounted for it, but unless Russia and China decide not to invade America right now while it's weak like this, uh, unless that happens, then he will have uh, martial law here. He will have, um, you know, uh, Trump's administration will have to take action. And, of course, they'll, they'll protest uh, you know, woefully, you know, loudly on the left-wing side. But, but Soros, in essence, will win in that respect. But in the long game, he may lose the country he's trying to take control of in that America will be destroyed by foreign uh, forces invading. I mean, you know, of, of the the 12 uh, uh, riots or demonstrations, whatever you want to call it, that these left-wing groups bust people into, um, most all of them are uh, openly supporting the violent overthrow of the United States government and openly promote communism. You know, uh, including the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, you know, and Black Lives Matter and La Raza, which is, you know, down from uh, Mexico and stuff. All these things are, these 12 protests that we're talking about are funded by Soros. And it's just stirring the pot to make revolution occur, make civil disobedience and civil war a fact very shortly. So uh, I was, I guess I was wrong in saying he'd be pleased. He, He wouldn't be pleased. He's going to be pleased either way. He just, I mean, old man. Well, yeah, exactly. And do you, do you make anything? Hillary's concession speech. If you notice, not, I don't know how many people notice this, or maybe don't care, but I, I noticed that she wore purple, and uh, that matched Bill Clinton's tie—a purple tie. And people say, "Oh, you know, you got what are you crazy, Doug?" But I do believe that uh, we're we're witnessing the initial throes of a color revolution started by Soros or a civil war that's brewing that is being fueled by the royalty that is Clinton, the Clinton criminal dynasty 
funded through and by Soros, as well as Al Sharpton. And I mean, I believe it. In uh, other uh, left-wing, radical, progressive, democratic, national, socialist, Marxist uh, um, operatives, from Keith Ellison to Debbie Wasserman Schultz to, I mean, the list goes on. The, the, in fact, the, the meeting—they're having a secret meeting. Well, not so secret meeting, I guess. Now, in uh, D.C., the left secret club. You've got uh, uh, Schultz. You've got. Uh, uh, Valerie Jarrett, and I'm just trying to think of, oh, de Blasio is kicking it off. So you've got all of the leftist Marxist luminaries over there in, in New York. Uh, that's a, a Soros, uh, funded event. So you're right, man. But, but back to the colors. Do you see any significance of that, or do you see this as a color revolution like we've seen in other countries? Well, when you say color revolution in other countries, what do you mean exactly? Well, you know how the, for example, we'll just take the, a recent example, the Ukraine. Uh, the Orange Revolution. Yeah, well, George Soros, Soros 2004, yep. Yep. and then again in 2014. Uh, and, and I'm not familiar with the purposes of, of labeling it with, with colors, but what they're calling this is the Purple Art Revolution against Trump. And on top of the uh, MoveOn.org, Open Society, Black Lives Matter partnerships that are busing people into different cities across the country for anti-Trump uh, riots and protests that we've seen in the days since the election, they are mobilizing the most massive Inauguration Day protest where apparently they already have about 10,000 people uh, ready to be a part of the protest on Inauguration Day. And they're looking for, you know, another 50 to 100,000 people to be involved. And they're not only doing this on a, um, uh, a guerrilla marketing level, uh, on, you know, uh, neighborhood by neighborhood, street by street. They're doing this by, uh, collaborating with, you know, the ultra rich in, um, financing, uh, these protests and as well as bottom up. Uh, yeah, as well as, you know, um, paying for activists to be shipped to the right areas, putting them up in hotels and paying them to protest on Inauguration Day. They want this to be the most historic protest and think that they can actually prevent Trump from attaining the inauguration, uh, being inaugurated on January 20th. Well, you know, getting back to the color, which is the question that started this, guys, the official explanation from the Democrats is that this this was to symbolize the blending of the Republican and Democratic uh, factions of the country into one happy nation, right? But that's just rubbish because there's such a big divide between the left and the right uh, that no matter what uh, Hillary, uh, both Clintons, in fact, could bring about if they were in power, it would not unify the country. It would split it even further. Um, the the thing that Holly first saw when she saw her making her concession speech and, and, and Bill there with him, with her, both wearing this regal purple color, is that it was a, an insult, in essence, saying that Trump is not the royalty here. We are the royalty. These are the royal colors, you know. And uh, it, it, it kind of reminded me of something that occurred uh, to me back in, gosh, 19... 71, I think it was just before I was heading overseas to, to um, Australia. And I was at a private uh, home with the people that owned the Frost National Bank. And um, it, it was a, a woman and her brother, um, you know, uh, they, uh, just the two of them, they had the controlling interest uh, in the, the bank. 
the woman turned to her brother and she said, like, you know, I always fancied being a regent, you know, like you know, a queen or a king of a country, and Australia would be a nice place. And at that time in 71, the banking people, the, the rich elite in that uh, circle, were already thinking about dividing up various territories of the planet that would be ruled by local governors and regents. So it... Um, to see Hillary, you know, wear the, the regent colors, it's kind of like a a sign, a secret sign to everyone that's in her inner crowd and in the Soros crowd and all this, the globalists, to say, yes, we're approaching that regal standpoint, and it may be even saying to them, don't worry, we're still going to come out in control shortly, just stand by. So that's that's a lot to get out of just the color purple on them, but it is... Um, I think it is important to realize that it was a signal to one or more groups. i got to ask you this, Stan. Do you think that Hillary Clinton thought she was going to lose? I mean, you were on this program a week ago right now. We didn't know. No one knew. And, uh, you know, do you think that Hillary Clinton thought the, even it would be even remotely possible that she'd uh, lose to Trump? Probably not remotely, but being, uh, you know, a um, uh, a prodigy of Soros in the political scheme of things, she was probably told, you're going to win, you know, uh, project that air of confidence and that kind of stuff. She probably uh, did not consider the fact that Soros would let her lose, that he would rig the elections, uh, you know, bring dead voters to vote, uh, illegals, etc., etc., and when she saw... You know, that uh, President Obama had uh, encouraged illegals to vote, uh, that it'd be okay, they wouldn't be prosecuted. She thought it was a done deal. But her trust in Soros, I'm sure that overnight after she made her concession speech, Soros probably got a hold of her and said, look, don't worry, we had allowed for this. Plan B is going to be, you know, uh, riots uh, preventing the... you know, the acceptance uh, of government transfer over to Trump and his administration at Inauguration Day. We've got it under control. We're going to throw it into such chaos that you will end up being the regent, you know, not elected guy uh, in control or woman in control of the United States. You're going to be given this kingship or queenship over the country. And uh, we'll make it happen, so don't worry. So her momentary, you know, uh, lapse of faith uh, the night that she made the concession speech probably was just that very momentary and that's why she wore the purple she'd been talked to overnight by Soros or his his, uh, representative saying stand by we're going to turn it over to you and it won't be an electoral process it'll be appointing a queen of the country do you where do you see this going I mean it sounds like you've thought this through yes and uh, I know that we're going to have a multifaceted civil war in this country, horrible infighting between, well, when I say infighting, horrible fighting between conservatives and liberals, um, between blacks and whites, between Muslims and non-Muslims, uh, between you know Puerto Ricans and Mexicans, Puerto Ricans and blacks, uh, blacks and whites. There are so many sides that are going to be at each other's throats that darn near anyone who sees anyone else in the streets of the 120 major cities of this country is going to be looking at the enemy, you know, uh, to them. Um, and I see that if Trump is allowed to take office and allowed to begin doing what he promised to do, um, that this would be disruptive to the plans of Soros uh, at all. And so 
something has to be done to create a situation where he cannot take the reins. Another situation which is brewing, which could uh, augment this, uh, the situation in Syria where Obama and Russia are at odds. Uh, Obama and the Prince uh, uh, Soros and his supporters could effect the start of a nuclear exchange in Syria against the United States, between, between the United States and Russia and Iran, or it could occur even on shore here uh, at home. But whatever does happen, it will give the Obama administration the authority, uh, kind of the the uh, kind of default authority by the public to um, stop the transfer of government in a time of national crisis. They don't have time to change the reins for the interest and good of the country uh, and security. We're going to have to let the existing government hold on to the reins until things settle down and they can then go back and have an inauguration day in a transfer of government. So one way or another, I see that we're going to probably not let Mr. Trump, you know, take the, the rightful office. I think they're going to stop him somehow. And of course, the worst scenario is that someone would hurt him to the point that he couldn't, uh, you know, take the office and, and, and Mr. Pence as well. I, You know, there's just too many uh, ways this could happen, and they're forming at the moment. Uh, there are people calling for the assassination of President Trump, uh, President-elect Trump, in the left wing and in these riots. It, it just, it's disaster waiting to happen. It, it's fulfilling yeah. what even the Hopi um, prophecy keepers told Holly and I when we were down there. A multifaceted civil war that will tear America apart and Russia and China will then invade uh, the yeah. United States. And, and it seems to be this seems to be forming what you described. Um, the, the fact that Obama said virtually nothing about the, the riots didn't acknowledge anything. Uh, Clinton, of course, hasn't come out, uh, any of the Clintons. Really, no one in power is attempting to quell the disturbances. You've got cannon fodder being used at the ground level anyway. Um, the useful idiots out there with the uh, with the signs, with the misspellings, and, you know, they're just really the useful idiots in this uh, being propelled by the other forces. So, um, man, yeah, wow, dangerous period of time. I, I, I don't, I don't know. We, we, we had spoken about this. You know, we, we'd game this out. Uh, Stan, you and uh, us, we'd game this out many, many shows at this point. Wondering what at this point, I'm happen. just kind of reiterating what we've what we've uh, gamed out in the past. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Any one of these things could could take place, and I think it's uh, the objectives don't change. The plans do, based on the events. So this is dangerous time, I believe. You know, it's interesting. Um, Russia watching the elections, of course, and uh, um, there's an article on our uh, news page there where the article says that the DEFCON nuclear threat, you know, the United States has from one down to nine or whatever, one being the, the imminent threat of you know nuclear war or imminent destruction of the country. Uh, DEFCON, I think it's at nine now or something like it, it's reduced to the safest level. Immediately this happened after Donald Trump won. And, you know, there are a number of, of individuals and organizations that have to be consulted to compile this DEFCON rating. You know, 
press the button against Russia over in the Middle East, creating the threat of World War III, if it doesn't actually start. That's not the Armageddon conflict, but this is World War III we're talking about, which will, when that occurs, whatever the, the, the catalyst is, the people of Earth will panic and say, we have got to do anything, give up any rights, whatever. We've got to avoid nuclear annihilation of the planet or mankind is gone. And so nuclear events are the things to watch in this as well. And in the immediate future, between now and the end of the year, um, between now and January 20th, but I think uh, more likely between now and the end of the year. So it's not so obvious that it's been planned to disrupt the inauguration. It, it should be happening, you know, almost immediately between now and the end of the year. Oh, that's just... Stan, <laughs> um, John McCain has said some things uh, either yesterday or today. I believe it was today. In we cannot allow Donald Trump to thaw relations between U.S. and Russia. Why would you speculate that he would say something like that when we know that tensions between the U.S. and Russia are did at mis- an all-time did, high? Did he misuse that term, thaw? Well, what he's saying is that we yeah. should not, you know... Uh, the, the tension that is between the U.S. and Russia is there for a reason, and Trump should not try to make friends. Right, but he did. Did he? he you know, so well, I can look, pull up the full quote right here. Go ahead. I, I can't speak for John McCain, obviously, because I don't know him and, and don't have any privileged information in that respect. Whenever John McCain says something, I wonder. I hearken back to the fact that he was a prisoner of war, and that he went through extreme mental torture and conditioning, and I've never. Mm-hmm fully trusted the man, you know, to be free of that conditioning, you know, like the Manchurian candidate type conditioning since, you know, he got into politics. And I wondered to myself, is this part of the conditioning that uh, he is responding and saying, okay, look, uh, let's let's uh, keep the, the hot button hot between the White House and Russia um, uh, to avoid putting a, a roadblock to the globalist attempt to make this one world government with the threat of nuclear war uh, as I just mentioned a few paragraphs ago you know, a few minutes ago uh, people of the earth have to be made to think that we're about to be destroyed and to give up their freedoms and, and their leadership and their democracies and whatever in favor of anyone or any group who can bring peace to the planet and get rid of nuclear war so McCain coming out saying we can't allow it to thaw is in essence saying a message not only to the, the people of the United States, you know, this common person and of the world. He's sending out a message to the globalist and global globalist supporters saying we can't allow this to happen because it'll put a, you know, a, a roadblock, you know, a stumbling block in the middle of our grand plans for a global one world government. We have to let this happen so that we can form a global government uh, when people are so stressed by the threat of nuclear war. That's the way I see McCain's message. Interesting. I, I, I agree. Based on, I mean, based on your your very well-defined ass- assessment, yeah, I agree. Yeah, tr- uh, McCain said that uh, the powerful chairman of the Senate Armed Service Committee, McCain, sent his first shot across the bow of President-elect Donald Trump's national security plans Tuesday saying that any attempt to reset relations with Russia was unacceptable. With the U.S. presidential transition underway, Putin has said in recent days that he wants to improve relations with the United States. McCain said in a statement uh, uh, released by his office, we should place as much faith in such statements as any other 
made by a former KGB agent who has plunged his country into tyranny, murdered his political opponents, invaded his neighbors, and threatened America's allies, and attempted to undermine uh-huh. American elections. Right. And this coming from McCain, who has set up ISIS, who has helped overthrow governments, who has murdered political opponents and invaded neighbors, as well as allies. Um little hypocritical there from a warmongering uh, neocon senator. But, 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 but Sam did make it a good point about the uh, prisoner of war aspect. Of yes. It, you know, yes. so. Hmm. You know, that, uh, Mr. Trump has got, he, he said he's going to do certain things. And one of the things that came out of that interview you did last night was, uh, you know, a, a very uh, good point. Uh, but it's also a point to remember when he says he's going to do A. He may not be doing A, especially in relationship to foreign powers and terrorism. She asked, okay, what are you going to do about ISIS? What are you going to do about this? He said, look, I'm not going to broadcast what I'm going to do. I'm not going to give them any warning. It's going to be, you know, a surprise to them. And any good general knows that you do not broadcast to the enemy, oh, look, at 11 o'clock tomorrow, you know, barring any, you know, difficulties or changes in plan, we're going to bomb the heck out of your location over here at, you know, this place. That gives them time to start moving people out of that place and preparing for this attack and a counterattack at that. So we have to wait and see if, you know, if Mr. Trump gets to actually take power, if he will do what he says and and thaw, you know, the relations uh, with Russia. That might be disarming to Putin. That might be what he's planning. Uh, they're just, it, it's difficult, guys, to trust anyone, including Mr. Trump, in, you know, that is in the power structure, whether it be financially or politically. You just have to judge them by their actions, not by what they say. So, you know, it's... It's uncertain, and it's just a time of confusion where people will cry out for peace and safety. We are there. Yes. Yeah, indeed we are. Um, everything we've been talking about, you've been talking about for for decades leading up to this point. We've got about four minutes left, Stan, uh, you know, to take it where you want to take it in the, in the remaining moments, the uh, remaining minutes we've got, because you're the man. Well... Don't know much about that, but anyway, image number five, more information on chemtrails, aircraft, aircraft IDs, and uh, geoengineering. Um, if you click on that, it'll take you to a subpage where I've got photos of different types of uh, bomber or refueler type aircraft, really, that could be responsible for the chemtrails that we're seeing. Um, in that page, uh, second row, uh, the left picture and the right picture are ones that uh, Holly and I took either over our house or just south of it in Walsenburg with our telephoto lenses, whatever, uh, catching aircraft up close that were making these uh, chemtrails. Now, the ones we shot were making three trails. Uh, others have been shown, like the one over our house there over Pueblo West, with a, uh, an aircraft making... Of four trails, which would be a, a derivative of some C-17 or uh, aircraft like that that the Air Force has, that has four engines, which could be mixing in their fuel various compounds. Now, it's, in this page, I'm showing you what these aircraft look like, how to identify them from the ground when you look up, and the visual aircraft recognition uh, PDF file from the uh, part of the Army is a PDF you can download it. It's in the top left uh, uh, picture of row one there. And in, in the middle picture, you can see how the uh, 
tankers are laid out and how much they can hold and all that kind of stuff. And then you can see uh, a link to the Geoengineering Watch uh, website, which has got a number of links to other facilities or, or websites and, and groups researching the cause of this geoengineering spray. And it's not so much a biological agent that comes out of the exhaust of these uh, uh, aircraft that we're talking about that are chemtrailing. It is, um, you know, metallic particles, like, you know, like the bariums and and uh, various other particulates that will make a shield over parts of, of the world. It's not just in America. So those things are not destroyed. Those heavy metals are not destroyed in the process of being combined with the jet fuel and then creating these clouds of stuff that's spread out. Anyway, that's that's a whole subside. You can link onto those, see pictures of them, uh, read about uh, one pilot that admits that he was uh, uh, chemtrail or spraying and he's, um, you know, uh, uh, service in the Air Force. So anyway, gotta read that's that very quickly. Yeah. Very good. Stan, we've, you've done it again. We've reached the end of the program with you. Uh, again, you know, um, new week, entirely new, uh, <laughs> new complexion of, of the country. It's, it's going to be interesting to see where we're at next week at this time. Uh, Stan, what has happened in the, in the seven days? It's, it's like we're measuring time in headlines by the minute yeah. now. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, well, God bless you. Thank you. Well, go ahead. Sir. God bless you and take care of you guys. Bye-bye now. All right, brother. Thanks. Thanks, Dan. Folks, that'll do it for us tonight. Uh, I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us tonight. Thank you for, again, so much for your support of our show. Um, yeah. we got a great you. rest of the week lined thank up you. for you. Yeah, we um, Paul McGuire will be on later this week. We have um, Pastor Mike Spaulding. Um, Tomorrow night, a, uh, Pastor Langford, too. Pastor Langford will be on Hour 3, yep. um, as well as Susan Heck. She is a, uh, memorized the New Testament, a um, leader in women's ministry. It's and we'll interesting, be interesting about, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Folks, you can uh, go to our YouTube channel. And check out tomorrow's show description. It will be up on uh, HagmanReport.com. Do, do well us a favor. Subscribe. Hagman Hagman. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Yeah. Please. Search Team K9 or the official Hagman and Hagman Report. we got about 43,000 subscribers. Please add to it. Share it with your friends. We should have. As well as our social media links you can yeah. find on Hagman and Hagman.com. And bookmark Hagman Report and check that each and every morning and also in the afternoon because we uh, update it more than once during the day. God bless. Until tomorrow, stay safe. Have a good night.